was a fish What would we do? I guess we'd wish for reincarnation Reincarnation Wouldn't it be a sensation to come back to like from reincarnation Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And uh, today we're here to talk Kevin's pick, Kenneth Brenaugh's uh, second, his sophomore effort, the, the thriller Dead Again from 1991. One. 1991. All right. You did it. I never, I never look before the episode starts. <laughs> I forget. Um, 1991 starring himself and his, uh, his then wife, Emma Thompson, and uh, lots of other... Just a really strangely casted film. We'll talk about that. And uh, we're going to talk about other stuff we watch. We're also going to do our best of 2020, our, our year in review. We just got our, uh, well, I know JR and I are, have pro accounts on Letterboxd, so we have our year in reviews from, uh, from Letterboxd telling us what, what our favorite films of the year were. <laughs> and, uh, and then we're also going to talk about the Criterion Challenge. So we got a lot to get to. Let's jump right into it. First thing, though, forgot trailers, right? We got to talk yeah. uh, the the big trailer that dropped, the big uh, Oscar baity sort of. Okay, it's not really an Oscar bait because I guess Oscars are kind of if they're happening, that'd be over by now, right? But uh, it seems like a movie that's definitely uh, in that in that category. The little things. It's a it's mm. Oscar baity director for sure. Oh yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think I've seen any films that he's made. To be honest, no, no Blindside. No, I, I would never oh. watch that. And he did, uh, he did that Highwaymen movie uh, with most recently with on Netflix with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson, oh. I think. And I did, did not know that. He did The Founder also. And he did uh, Saving Mr. Oh. Banks, which was a oh, a big Christ. Tom Hanks Jeez. Oscar yeah. baity vehicle that right. didn't work out. Yeah, I, I feel like that's Gross. his thing. It's like since The Blindside, he won one. He got his he got one of his uh, actors an Oscar. And then he kind of, uh, you know, he's been trying to do it again, and it just hasn't been happening for him. Mm. But this one's called The Little Things, and it stars three Oscar winners. So maybe that's his route now. He's just like, I'll just get guys who've already won. That way it doesn't matter if they win again. Mm. So this one stars uh, Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, and uh, Remy, Rami. Rami, Rami Malik. I said Remy Malik. Rami Malik, who, uh, you know, two of those guys probably shouldn't have Oscars, but... Uh, they do. So, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> and uh, and I'll say this: Jared Leto, unrecognizable for the first part of the. I didn't recognize him until his, until he said something really? in the trailer. Yeah, I did not know. Really? I thought it was. I thought he was Hispanic. I was like, this is some some random like unknown Hispanic actor. When the first time you see him in profile, I think he's wearing like nose makeup or something. I don't know. He, I think he just has his long hair and beard thing, which is like a yeah. I don't. That's th- been like one of his public looks for a while. I think if, he's. Yeah. I looks. think he's wearing prosthetics. I'll I'll go on record right now. I think he's wearing a prosthetic. He very well could be, but the Jesus look is something he's been going for a long yeah. time. Like Jr. said, sure. Uh, so yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched the first hour. I rewatched the first hour of uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine this past week. Couldn't make it through the whole thing. Uh, been playing a lot of cyberpunk so it's just was jazzing me up to, to rewatch it but then it's just it's horrible so i stopped but he looks he's got <laughs> the same kind of haircut and beard thing going on in that movie but so you see the movie's horrible or the game's horrible the movie the game oh, is okay. great the game, is the great. game mm. that people like and respect and this game that everyone says is shit and the playstation's not even selling anymore it's, well it's i mean 
you know, it doesn't. It's not made for. It's. It should be a next gen only game. It's. It was made for. Uh, it was released for PS4. It shouldn't have been. Okay. It should have only been released okay. for PS5. It runs okay. great on. It runs great on the PS5. Ask. Ask. Ask Rustin. <laughs> He'll tell oh, you. Of course. I would not. <laughs> I would not. <laughs> anyway, uh, what do you guys think of this trailer? Other than the fact that you know Jared Leto's in it. Rami Malek is awful. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. As soon as I hear him talk, he is just the fucking worst. He's got a weird delivery for sure. Yeah, it's like... uh, uh, uh. (laughs) And like, he's done that like all through Mr. Robot and I mean... uh, It really worked for Robot. I thought it really worked in Mr. Robot. In Bohemian Rhapsody, he doesn't deliver that way though. Well, that's also like... That's also such... I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure I can say it's, it's probably just a parody performance that got passed off as Oscar-worthy. It's the same thing I imagine. Yes. I, I haven't seen Ray, but I imagine it's similar to what Jamie Foxx is doing in Ray. Mm. Although, I think that Jamie Foxx is probably more convincing in Ray than Rami Malek is. I would imagine so. Jared yeah, losing he, it. <laughs> no, I, mean, I think you're right. I mean, this is very... I, we don't need to talk about these shitty biopics uh, <laughs> that have nominated. Like those are those are performances are fine for what they are, but they are, yeah, they're they're just doing imitation. Um, but at the beginning of that movie, um, the the name of which I cannot remember, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is that the yeah. name of the movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ, why did they name it that? Uh, <laughs> right, the song. Um, mm-hmm. At the beginning of that, he does do like he is a shy guy the beginning right, and he does right. do that kind of weird awkward delivery but but with a british uh, accent back to the yeah <laughs> but back to the trailer i think uh one of the three people in this trailer i think did it i think they're mm. i think one of these three is the serial killer that it was giving me vibes like our twist is denzel <laughs> from across the country no i think these no, no 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 i feel like that's i mean that's too easy though right there's no way no, yeah. that that's the twist because they, no, they I, give it if they, they wouldn't give it away i thought the same thing at the end of it. i was like well that's kind of silly mm. sort of giving it away but i was like there's no way they'd give away the twist so so I mean, did it. or maybe that's <laughs> maybe. not or maybe that's you know it's one of those uh crime and punishment things where like you know who did it and it's a thriller maybe like when's, uh, oh. when's Denzel gonna get caught? Kind of thing. Is I would he be gonna into get that. caught? Like, uh, like um, that Woody Allen movie that I like, which I can't remember the name of. Matchpoint. <laughs> mm. Or, uh, or even another Denzel movie. Um, Out of Time. Have you guys seen Out of Time? I feel like I've talked mm. about this before. He's a he's a he's a police detective in Hawaii, and he like commits a commit commits some kind of crime, and um, he ends up having to like do the whole movie as him trying to like keep people from finding out. Because mm. it wasn't too bad. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I was just going to look up uh, who wrote this thing. Uh, John Lee Hancock did the director. Oh, did he really? Mm. Oh my! That was uh, in, like the YouTube good. description of the trailer you posted. <laughs> that's not directed good. by John Lee Hancock from his own original screenplay. Ooh, that doesn't bode well. I, I mean, somebody else. He might be a brilliant writer. I I have no idea if he wrote the other things he's directed. Mm. You know, he which did. I think were all adapted from like memoirs. 
Right. He, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if he wrote to me there. Oh, like it says writer. Let's see, writer on. Oh, he wrote a perfect world with uh, for th- the the Clint Eastwood film. Mm. With uh, Kevin Costner. That's the the yeah the father son one. Yeah, the there's like a serial killer or whatever, or he's like a outlaw or something. I don't know. He wrote The Blind Side and he wrote Snow White and the Huntsman. So we should not be excited. We're talking about a thing that we should not be excited about, but he it did not. Is... It looks well. It looks intriguing to me. It look. It looks a yeah. little bit. I'll say this though: that opening shot drives me nuts when he's like, well, he's ne- like, um, Denzel. He's talking to a dead body or whatever, but he's oh, he's yeah. walking into that apartment, and that apartment looks so stagey and like production designed. It looks ridiculous. Like the light flickers on, and there's a blood stain on the floor. It just looks like something out of a video game. It drives me nuts. Thanks, Seven and Video I know. Games. Exa- well, yeah. exactly, exactly. You know, I was talking to Rustin about this too. I, I, I just recently been playing a lot of. Uh, I hate to play right the video games constantly, but I bought this game called Verdun, and its sequel Tannenberg, which are both World War One shooters. And uh, I was saying, you know, World War One is like the most underrepresented war in film. Like you don't see any good. Where are the films about World War One? Nineteen seventeen. Yeah, he said good 19- films. Okay. Uh, no, no, I said. Uh, I mean, honestly, any films like 1917 doesn't even really fall into what I'm talking about. Mm, a film right. about men in the trenches. You don't see this these, this in movies. Like, there, there's like a few of them. I mean, I just watched one. West Front 1918 is one, but but like all the rest, quiet. like yeah, All Quiet on the West. Exactly. But those movies are 80 years old or whatever. You know, and it's like <laughs> like let's get a let's get a new 90 years old actually. Let's get a you know a movie now with like Saving Private Ryan budget. In that, mm. and I was thinking, and and but I was thinking, you know, if they did that, it just be, it ended up being something like 1917, where it's horribly yeah. overproduced and and poorly uh, conceived, and yeah, I think isn't there? Well, there's sorry. um, uh, have either of you guys seen uh, Gallipoli? The yeah. the Peter I have not. No, no, wait, 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 hold on. It's, it's, Peter, Peter, it's Peter Weir. Yeah, it's Peter Weir, but I'm I'm not sure. That it's that's World War Two though. No, yeah. it's isn't it? It's World what's, War One. What's his What's his World War One movie? Oh yeah, because they're fighting the Ottoman. They're Gallipoli the is is World War One. It is yeah. World War One. Right. Hang on. Yeah. I just it was on the list that I looked. I looked up World War One movies trying to figure out if there were any that I had missed, and uh, right. there really weren't many. But I mean, How? but even that that's not Gallipoli isn't really uh, what I'm talking. You know what I mean? I'm talking about like like in France, in you know, <laughs> like you know the Germans fighting the French. Or the, even like the American Doughboys mm. or something like that, you know what I mean? I mean, the, the problem, oh, yeah, the problem is, with that is, is that the, Sorry. the uh, you know, trench warfare, uh, hard to make exciting. Mm. Oh, I know? disagree. I mean, there, there were like the big battles, but it's always going to lend itself to like the the horrors of the trench. Kind That's of stuff. fine. I love that. Where are the films okay. about the horrors of the trench? You don't see that either. There's it's nothing. Too, it's too fucking real. It's too yeah. fucking real. It really but is. That's what... <laughs> I think JR hit on it pretty well. Like, you know, there, I think, like, I don't know that you're going to get, like, a Saving Private Ryan type World War One movie unless, unless, like, you can find, like, some, some battle that was, like, I mean, you'd either have to not do trenches at all or, like, just barely do the trenches. Because I feel like as soon as you get into the trenches, it's just going to be, like, um, some long, drawn-out... Um, I want it to be. I want it to be a meat grinder well, film. I don't care about. Well, no, I'm no. Not, I, like, the only, it's it's going to be like I'm a long, like drawn out, like existential, like what that's is, fine. What too. is life? What is purpose? That's and fine I, too. But I'm saying, like, I mean, the, the conflicts were still brutal. There were still lots and lots of death. I'm saying, like, mm. 
I, I, the only reason I say Saving Private Ryan is I'm saying like th- as far as the production goes, like it's like mm. something where you could make a film and it would have the oh. same value as that. You know, look, look I, good, for instance. I have a really good idea of how we could get studios to to put money into this. Okay. We could do that kind of trench warfare thing, but put in a superhero like I don't know, like oh, Wonder Woman oh or uh, or <laughs> oh, Superman, Jesus something Christ. like that. You see, that's that's a, but that's exactly my point. See, right? Like that, I bet those mm. I haven't seen Wonder Woman, but I bet those scenes you know, have a lot of fucking value in them. You know what I mean? They probably put a lot of like money into the details and shit like that for no reason whatsoever, you know, to have her running through a fucking, <laughs> the trenches of, of world war one. It's too. the best scene in the movie. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it's the only scene in the movie that worth looking at. But, um, <laughs> anyways, I actually watched the first 10 or 15 minutes of, of the first wonder woman with my kids at school. Mm. And I literally, I could not make it. I was like, this is the worst written thing I've ever heard. I, like, the, every line yeah. was just abominable. I was, <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, this is, this is serious. Like somebody wrote this and approved this in a big Hollywood movie. It's, like, it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah. And like, I was telling somebody at work, like they needed to get somebody who they needed to get a woman who has experience doing action movies. Cause Patty Jenkins, her biggest accomplishment up to that point was monster. And sure, like Charlize got at least an Oscar nomination. I don't no, remember. She won. If she, oh, she won. Yeah. Okay, so that's what Patty Jenkins had. But you need somebody with an eye for action because there's some there's some action in Monster. I, shot. I, and I <laughs> well, yeah. <but laughs> I think the action I mean. in the first Wonder Woman is its strength and is better than any other DC movie just by far. Because uh, action is not Zack Snyder's strength because Zack Snyder doesn't have strengths. Oh, Batman versus Superman is a good. It's fine. It's it's, it's better than any it, Marvel movie. It is the worst <laughs> American blockbuster I think I've seen this century. You are out of it's, your mind. It's it's like <laughs> I'm by bottom 100 movies. If I were to make a list, it'd probably be like number Get 11 the or fuck something. Out. It's better than Man of Steel. It's better I don't than think Man. So. It is. It is. I'm sorry. Can't, maybe maybe it's a better movie. Maybe he should uh, go back and light up some of those scenes so I can see the movie. Uh, you know that you're going to be first to in line it. on HBO Max the day that Justice League Redux comes out. Speaking of, yeah, the movie that we were talking about 40 minutes ago, The Little Things, <laughs> also premiering on HBO Max, which is why we'll probably oh, all right. watch yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited about that. I love, I love that HBO Max is releasing everything now. It's very exciting. A movie with a writer-director we know isn't good, with a performance <laughs> we're pretty sure is not going to be great. Uh, we're, we're all just going to be there January 29th watching this shit. JR, multiple, <laughs> multiple performances I'm pretty sure aren't going to be mm. great. I have, I have no faith in Leto either. No. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know. I did like his line, though, when he repeats the, uh, the trunk space line to Denzel. I did mm. like that. He's appropriately creepy. Mm. I think they both had closed windows in yeah. their vehicles. Yeah. Well, I, I think Denzel just rolled down, <laughs> but one it. of them definitely had it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know how they hurt each other, just stopping in the middle of the road. But uh, yeah. just, you gotta suspend your disbelief, bud. <laughs> yeah. Well, like just like you were able to with Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay. I well, suspend disbelief <laughs> that people would speak moronically nonstop. The shit that They're was being from- spewed. They're from an island country that's been separated from humanity oh. for millennia. But they also have like 17 notably different accents on that yeah. one island. And the little girl I, is so, horrible. I can't, I can't do it, dude. 
I got a little bit into, I'm not going to talk about uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which is a, a movie that I, I didn't care for, but uh, I ended up liking more than I thought I would based on the first 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> but I did find myself, like I was, you know, I was just on like this, sometimes I log into this one movie forum just to yell at people because they're awful. Um, and, you know, it was like this place of like, just people were arguing about Wonder Woman 1984 and like it's the worst movie because it doesn't fit in with Zack Snyder's continuity from Batman vs Superman. I'm like, that's not why it's the worst movie. This is like I found myself defending this bad movie. It's so like it's bad for reasons that you're not acknowledging. Didn't they just Put release straight? Didn't DC just announce that they're doing like a multiverse thing though, where the, the continuities don't really matter because everything's running concurrently and stuff? Yeah, which is really dumb. They should just say the DC EU is dead, and we're just releasing movies whenever we feel like it. <laughs> Yeah, but the like fans a, whole, a multiverse thing. Mm. The idea that we have to have like that's the these kind of contained sh- multiverses right. or universes with hard continuity. It's like uh, the 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 Fox X Men franchise can't exist today because it's like it's too confusing. It doesn't make enough sense. We'll see, but they'll that that's how they're going to get that's how they're going to get by with that is by doing this next Spider Man film where they have all the different Spider-Mans, and then they're going to say, see, now the X-Men can exist within the Marvel continuity because it's all happening in alternate universes. And that's why we'll have a different actor playing Wolverine soon. And that's... Be- and the, aren't they... Do, they're doing, like, the same shit with the Flash. Of course. And uh, Right, yeah. And and uh, and Marvel's going to do it with uh, Fantastic Four as well. I actually remember the, the Flash thing is, is Flashpoint, which is a comic book, like, storyline that I actually read. And it led to the DC New 52. Oh, 2009. You were crazy. You, you read that shit in 2009? I still read comics, bitch. You still read superhero comics? The new Jonathan Hickman written X-Men series is fucking killer. It's so good. I, 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 I'd be interested in something like that. I, I, I would read X-Men. That's the only superhero I would I, well, I have, I, I have I follow, tried to read certain Batman comics, but... Mm. I follow writers you know like i I don't read x-men i read jonathan hickman and he took over x-men recently but anyway we can move on i only read independent and european comics i'm a snob uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay well let's uh segue right into what we watched then since uh jr sort of talked for five minutes about a movie he said he wasn't going to talk about wonder woman 1984 um uh you know what i'm gonna start this week because I don't think I've started recently, and I've got a lot of shit to talk about. So, because yeah. I watched a lot of movies for my top ten, I don't really have a lot to talk about. I'm gonna skip I'll skip a lot of these, but um, <laughs> I watched uh, "Let Them All Talk," uh, the Steven Soderbergh vehicle, uh, which is set on a large cruise ship vehicle, and stars uh, Meryl Streep, Lucas Hedges, and Diane Weist and Candace Bergen. There you go. That's the I- name. I know who the fuck they are, bud. Okay, no, she's she's just the, she's the best one. I thought who Bergen? Yeah, yeah, she's a, yeah, she's she is. Uh, Her I character's like, the most fun. Oh, well, that's fair. I like Streep's performance a lot, actually. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely Bergen is definitely the sort of uh, breakout. I mean, it's kind of weird to say about an eighty-year-old <laughs> yeah. woman, but she's you yeah. know, she, <laughs> she hasn't been in shit in a while. I don't think that people have seen. So you know, Murphy Brown, thirty years ago. Uh, I, I thought let them all talk was, uh, a solid entry. 
it's like mid tier for me for Soderbergh, maybe mid to lower tier. He's got a lot of shit, and uh, I enjoyed it. It's not you know it's not a masterpiece or anything, but I like that he's kind of um, experimenting and just kind of doing his own thing. You know, he just kind of feels like he just like gets something that he likes. He gets obsessed with it. He does it real quick, and then he's like, yeah, it's done. Now we'll move on to the next thing. And he's not really concerned about it being, you know, he's not concerned about legacy at all, which I really appreciate. Unlike someone like Tarantino, like you'd never see a movie like this coming out of Tarantino because it's not meticulous enough, right? And it's like uh, he, Soderbergh's obviously not as interested in his legacy or interested in meticulousness, <laughs> and uh, he just wants to make <laughs> movies. You get the impression that he really enjoys the process. Which is probably why he's, you know, doing so many things on his movies and shooting them and editing them and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I I thought parts of it were really funny. Uh, Parts of it dragged a little bit for me. I would have liked if there was, like, more interaction maybe between the the three leads, the three women. But the point is is that there is no interaction. That's sort of, like, what's the point of the story is and uh i like lucas hedges in it a lot so he's he's won me back he he lost me for a minute i can't remember what movie it was oh yeah uh what is that that movie where he plays the gay kid boy erased Nicole Kidman. yeah boy erased yeah he lost mm. me with that and now he's back <laughs> oh i love him i love him in this it's i great. really enjoyed um the agent yeah she's good too yeah or editor no she's an agent right yeah she's yeah, like a Gemma, junior Gemma Chan. or something yeah I enjoyed her conversations with uh, Lucas Hedges too. Yeah, those were the those were the the majority of his scenes. I think were with her. Yeah. So, yeah, and I I liked all that. I like the I, I really like the idea of um, Meryl Streep plays like a like a really well known. I guess she won the Pulitzer or something. She's like a really highly respected literary figure, and everybody's waiting for her next book to come out. And they go on this cruise, and there's like this kind of a trashy, you know. Uh, puts out a book every couple of months writer on the on the ship and she thinks very little of him and I like I like uh, the scene where they interact for the first time and she asks him how long it takes him to write a book and stuff like that. I thought that was all really good. So I, I enjoyed it. Three and a half. Same. It's on HBO Max. Check it out. You got to. HBO Max is the only service now. <laughs> You're gonna monopolize the whole fucking thing. <laughs> I mean, shit. They stole. Uh, <laughs> they stole Soderbergh from Prime. You know, Amazon yes. had him, and then uh, no, he was on Prime. It wasn't. Um, uh, Adam Driver one was on Prime. What Adam Driver one? The fucking uh, Daniel oh, Craig this, Adam that... Driver, the NASCAR stealing movie, whatever. Wait, no, that was a theater one. I know, but it, but Prime owns it now. It's a it's a it's a Prime. It's like on when you watch it on Prime, it's just like a Prime original. No, but he like he did. High Flying Bird in the laundromat just last oh, year. Oh, that's true. He on, on Netflix. Netflix. Mm. I forgot about that. He's worked for everybody, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about those two. He's also been working with Streep a lot. What's going on there? Streep's giving up, huh? Anyway. <laughs> giving up? She's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll just do these straight to streaming service movies with Soderbergh only from now on. It's not. It's not. He. She's in that shitty. Uh, not shitty. I haven't seen it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the fucking Ryan Murphy movie, The Prom. Was um, she really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, I realized it was something I would never watch because like, they released a, a soundtrack song from it. And it was, I listened to it because it says Meryl, Meryl Streep raps in the middle of the song. Oh, no. And I listened and uh, I shouldn't have listened. 
and I'm going to make sure I never see that movie because I don't want to hear that again. Yeah, and Meryl I'll Streep never watch really Ryan Murphy anything ever. Yeah, I would yeah, yeah, stay away. Because, right. yeah, no. <laughs> He's not great. All right, who's going next? I'll go next. Do it. I uh, I watched Soul this morning on Disney Plus, which uh, is from the director of Up and Inside Out. That's the name. Yeah. You know, those two you know, very emotional Pixar movies. And Soul is, is really just like a a redo of Inside Out, but with um, an adult and death instead of a young child and, you know, emotions. Uh, and it is, I don't know, it, it looks amazing. The animation style is wonderful. The, like, color palette is like these light blues and pinks and purples. And I just think it looks awesome. I'm a big fan of that for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and the way, it, the way it like visualizes like souls who uh, have not been born yet is really cool and fun. And most of like the good stuff comes from, from that part of the movie. Um, but it's like this, this guy voiced by Jamie Foxx, who is a jazz musician and he, falls into a a manhole like right as he's about to get like his big break as a musician um and it's like his journey trying to get back into his body get his soul back into his body so he can get this big break and along the way he ends up accidentally mentoring this unborn soul played by tina fey and uh there's lots of shenanigans that are typical like animated kid stuff that i wish weren't a part of this movie but um I don't know. The the Sound, way it looks keeps me keeps me into it. Sounds mm. a little bit like Ghost Dad. Maybe it is like Ghost Dad. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen know. have you seen Ghost Dad? No. I haven't. Well, guess what, JR? You soon will. <laughs> <laughs> John, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. You know, um Soul is so much better than the you know, previous Pixar movie from this year onward um and you know this guy pete doctor is is telling good stories with pixar um i'm wondering if he he kind of just has like one lane though soul and inside out are very similar Mm. yeah well i mean that's like the whole pixar thing right they have to like come up with some kind of clever um sort of uh conceit and then they just build a movie around it right Mm. yeah yeah and that you know that often works for them sure 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 yeah i'm glad to hear it's good though we were talking about uh seeing if the boys wanted to watch it so is it good for small children do you think jr i would think so no it's not too heavy i mean there you know i can you could go down like a thought rabbit hole with how heavy this like skirts around but mm. you know this guy souls detached from his body because he's dead or dying and you know he's in a man's he's immediately hole. he's immediately going <laughs> he immediately goes to this <laughs> land with like these cute little unborn souls right so it's the way that uh the before life and afterlife are visualized is very child friendly and i mean in the journey to get back to his body, he ends up 
in the body of a cat. And a lot of the movie <laughs> takes place with him as a cat. So yeah, this is that's like the child friendly shenanigans I was talking about. It's very mm. child friendly. Okay. Just just like Ghost Dad, very child friendly. All right, Kevin. <laughs> So I finally subscribed to Criterion, and nice. yeah, nice. so I've been I've been going heavily down the uh, uh, the Kurosawa rabbit hole. Um, Love it. Yeah, I most of them are you know decent. Uh, the only no one that I love it. Hmm? <laughs> Said I no longer love this. <laughs> Well, the 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 only one that I like ha- the only two that I had like kind of problems with were like um the most beautiful which is like so heavily handed like propaganda um which you know I can't blame Kurosawa because Japan was under a fascist regime at the time so it was like you know what are you going to do but um it was it was funny too like uh the second part of uh Sanchiro Sagata um, they're trying to have this like basically mixed martial arts thing to prove how superior Japan is because of their jujitsu. But six years after this movie was made, they um, this Japanese jujitsu practitioner Kimura and one of the biggest names in Brazil- Brazilian jujitsu ever, uh, this uh, Gracie. They had a fight in Brazil that um, easily proved Japan Japan's superiority because the guy like there's a certain move like a double wrist lock that was named after Kimura because he was the he was really really good with it and he broke Gracie's arm in two places in that fight so it's like all y'all had to do was wait to prove. <laughs> Japanese superiority. Anyway, um but yeah. They're all pretty good until you get to like but when you get to like Drunken Angel, I think that's the first like Kurosawa movie. Like that's when you first really start to see like how well he can put together a movie and like uh um Mifune and Takashi Shimura, those guys fucking kill it in this movie. Some of the some of the some of the other incidental acting is not so great, but yeah, everything else before then, like you know, three three and a half because they're pretty good. But then Drunken Angels an easy four and a half. I I agree with that assessment. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. He hits uh, the man hits a lot of home runs, but not mm. e- even into the fifties. Not everything is a home run. No, I mean, I remember seeing, like, uh, I think, like, Scandal and I Live in Fear. Yeah, those are both in the 50s, and, like, they're okay, but, like, but also in the, you know, it's the same with uh, Billy Wilder. You know, he starts off in 1950 with Sunset Boulevard and just blows everybody away, and, you know, then you got, like, Witness for the Prosecution and Sabrina, and, you know, he closes out the decade with The Apartment. But, you know, uh, seven-year itch is in the 50s, too, and that's just okay yeah. at best. So, I yeah. Bet, I bet for some people that's their favorite Billy Wilder movie. 
I would. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, I mean, to them that to them, I would say like, have you seen uh, some like it hot? And if the answer is I no, then I have not. <laughs> you got you got to get on that. Wait. I know it's on my watch list. I haven't. Is that uh, your is that your favorite Billy Wilder movie? Me, me? personally? No. Yeah. I've never. John, I've no. only seen Sunset Boulevard. Okay, Jesus. I think oh. is the only Billy Wilder movie I've seen. And I'm I like really scared. I've and I haven't seen it in probably oh. fifteen years. So, but oh, okay. I liked it a lot when I watched it. I remember asking for, mm. for it for Christmas on DVD one year. <laughs> oh, so uh, yeah, like, but yeah, I don't think I've seen any other Billy Wilder movies. Wait, were you you weren't oh. on the episode where we did the apartment? No, I missed it and I never watched oh. it. But it's on. It's on. Isn't it on Criterion? I'm pretty sure it's in my uh, queue. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's on my queue somewhere. It is anyway. Right, but um. Uh, or it might be on Canopy. Oh, that might be where it is then. Yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, they have yeah. they have like Ace in the Hole and a couple of other ones. But yeah, Sunset Boulevard is my favorite. But like, um, yeah, Billy Wilder. Like, I ha- I haven't been able to do like a full list, but like, there's there's plenty of his movies that are fives and four and a halves, because the man knows how to make a movie. Oh yeah, yes. of course. Yeah, I have no doubt about yeah. that. Mm. Even with my limited knowledge. Mm. Okay, I um, sorry. Now you got me looking at Billy Wilder fucking movies. Let's see if I can see any others that I've seen. Oh, <laughs> oh no, I haven't seen that. I saw part of Stalag Seventeen. Oh, I've seen Double Indemnity, which I did not. Oh like. yeah, I did not like it. But it's been a long time since I watched it. Um, I watched it in college for a class, so I might have mm. fed into my dislike of it. But uh, anyway, I watched uh mangrove so i watched all of the uh and i know jr did too all of the small axe movies on prime which are the steve mcqueen's latest uh movie making effort and this is tough jr okay this is gonna figure into my uh top 10 later on is this tv they're made for the bbc they air on the bbc before and, I'm assuming they're on Prime, and they have they are also submitting to the two Emmys. of them, right? Oh, are they really? Oh they're submitting god. to the Emmys. Oh my god! <laughs> I I look. I'm really only having this debate with myself because I hate the idea that my top ten has like multiple <laughs> segments of this in it. Yeah, I know, right? Me too. <laughs> I can't, Me too. Can't stand it. Uh, even though I really liked uh, some of these these little movies, and they are, you know, it's it's like I never would have uh, I never would have thought of putting an episode of the Sherlock Show on here, even though that was, you know, a series of like ninety minute movies. Um, let me ask you this though, Jared, to, just to put because this is going to be a problem for me also. Would you have put? I don't remember what we if we talked about this before. Would you have put Twin Peaks: The Return as a film? On no, the list, and I did not, like Kaye du Cinema did, <laughs> which you know, good, good for them. I recognize their uh, cultural significance. Um, no, and that was, you know, that was a TV show. That was eighteen episodes, each one like in sequence, telling a story. You know, at least with written the, and directed these by mang- the same person. Though. Yeah, but these 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 mangrove episodes are. Like each one is a separate thing, different 
actors. It's not telling one story like a TV show. It's an anthology series. Right. But I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I've seen like the Los Angeles Film Critics Association uh, named Small Axe the, the best movie of the year. Um, uh, I've seen I've seen installments of the of Mang- of Small Axe on all kinds of lists, and uh, you know it's it's like a lot of these pe- people and places might be like making statements like who gives a shit about the difference between TV and film, um, whatever. I mean, I'm 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 sort of leaning more and more towards that only by virtue of the fact that you know there's. Uh, I mean, there's not really a limited amount. I saw a lot of fucking films this year, but like, there's definitely a limited amount of uh, uh, kind of high profile. And and I and I definitely would never like if I'm because if I'm judging small acts as a film with five parts, then it's it wouldn't make my top then because I most I most of the parts weren't great to me. They were passable. Two of the parts were pretty good. One of the parts is on my top ten. And I mean that's you know what I mean? So it's like if I judge the whole thing together, it weighs it down. So that's another thing. Do I but I I'm the only reason I'm having one of them on my top ten is because it's one of the ones that it's a feature length for one. I mean it's like like absolutely feature. And it was also submitted to uh or was gonna be submitted to to uh, the Cannes Film Festival before it got canceled. It played yeah. And it played at festivals. The first right. two played Exactly. Multiple festivals. Right, right. Mangrove and Lover's Rock. Right. So, I don't know. But anyways, my believe me, my top ten is a, is a uh, it's got more problems than that. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. Uh, but anyways, I'll, I'll talk about, uh, I really just want to talk about Mangrove personally because it's the one that I liked the most. So, you, spoiler, that's the one that's going to be in my top ten. Uh, Mangrove is the first one. And it's about a, a restaurant that's started by a... a I guess they're like Haitian immigrants or something. They're from some Caribbean islands, and uh, they moved to England. And they all all of the small axe films are about immigrants in in uh, in England facing racism and systemic racism, and mostly from police officers. And uh, anyways, I watched uh, Mangrove, and Man- Mangrove is about a restaurant that started, and uh, they're they're sort of uh, bullied and constantly harassed by the local. Uh, constables, the I forget what they're called. They call them PCs. I forget what it stands for. Isn't it just police constable? Is it police constable? Yeah, they're um, harassed by the local PCs. Uh, who are who's PC one of them? Bully. Yeah, what's that guy's name? The the main PC. He's so good in this. Uh, uh, I forget what his, his character is. Either like bully or pulley. It's yeah, it's Paul or something like that. Yeah, it's like pulley or Polly. Yeah. Anyways, he's really good in it. Um, the main actor. Who is the uh, sort of? Sorry, I'm like busy looking at who these actors are. There's a bunch of people I don't know. You know, like I've never heard of these people. Sean Parks plays the guy who opens the restaurant. He's sort of like the star of the film for a large mm. part of it. Anyways, uh, they're really great performances of these guys, just sort of kind of raging against each other, and then um, and then it becomes sort of a they have to go to a trial because they have a, they have a, a protest that turns into a riot. And they have to go to trial because they're facing jail time. And then it kind of turns into a your sort of typical courtroom drama, except that what makes it interesting to me is that it's 
it's in England, so the courtroom procedures are different, and like every you know, the lawyers are wearing wigs and so forth. It's a lot of weird, weird shit that like we're not used to seeing as Americans. And uh, some of the the people who are being accused, the defendants, choose to represent themselves, and that's where the real, really good scenes happen, in my opinion. Is where, uh, in particular, the one the one guy, Malachi Kirby. Yeah, Malachi Kirby defends himself against the police officer and questions the police officer. Just so good. The writing's great there. The acting's great there. The the way that uh, McQueen like focuses in on his on his thumb, like digging into the wood of the uh, of the banister and all that stuff. I mean, like all that shit's great. I think McQueen's direction in this one is the best that he's doing in all uh, in all five of these. I love his like. He's just got these weird things that he likes to focus on. Like other directors, I feel like would never think about. Like when they come back into the, they get done with one of their sessions and they they get out and it's, there's like ten defendants, you know, and they come into this back room, <clears throat> and he just sets the camera focused on the floor beneath the table as they're all sitting down at the table. So all you see is like the reflection in the hardwood of like the the chair legs and the their feet coming in and stuff and it's while they're talking you know, that's all you're seeing and I was just like that's such such a strange choice but it really really works I couldn't even explain why it works it's just really good it's a lot of stuff like that he likes to hang on things you know um for long periods of time which I'm I I get into a lot I like that and uh yeah I just I was watching I was I was like enthralled by his direction I was like this is great I'm really happy to see him doing something that's uh sort of this rich and meaningful again after his sort of uh genre experiment widows which I did not think worked personally but uh yeah I like mangrove good movie deal with it and Jared. I yeah <laughs> I really liked it as well and I I just thought it was funny that this came out I mean the uh it must have been like the New York Film Festival or TIFF or something uh, but it, Mangrove played the same festival, premiered at the same festival that the Trial of the Chicago Seven premiered at. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, they're they're the same movie. They're the same setup for a movie, and like one just totally botches um, the telling of the story, and one is great. Yeah, it's like last time when we were talking about um, Sound of Metal versus. Uh, what was what was the other shitty YA version? Oh, right. I don't even remember. Uh, something about a mixtape or something. You mixtape of the universe or some shit. <laughs> it's whatever that thing on Hulu is. Yeah, something with noise or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, got the kid from Alita Battle Angel in it. Yeah, it looks horrible. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it is it's thematically similar, but it's um. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this that's like the mm. the um Chicago Seven is like the Hollywood version of this movie. I would yeah. say, mm. you know, like the sort of it, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin directed it and everything, you know. And it's not yeah. good. And it like, right. And, and yeah. you know, I wonder, like, Steve McQueen's great direction mixed with, like, a pretty straightforward telling of this mm-hmm. story, like, probably did this story, you know, some favors. Whereas Aaron Sorkin just, like, couldn't help but, uh, you know, make his timeline <laughs> all crazy and have a bunch of just, like, tricks instead of just telling the story um, right. that he showed us. Whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> I was thinking about, like, McQueen versus Sorkin as a director. 
It's you know, it's like it's like you know Babe Ruth versus like Little League or something. Didn't you? <laughs> didn't you give Molly's game like a five? No, fuck <laughs> you. I gave it a four, and I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it for the direction. I'll tell you that. It was just a fun movie. Give me a break, man. <laughs> and you know what? I did give a five. Fucking shame and uh, fucking uh, twelve years a slave. Wow. And I'm I not did hunger. Not, I didn't see hunger yet. Okay. Because mm. it's not on the goddamn Criterion Channel, even though it's been on their label for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> it has. <clears throat> well, no, I I watched. You know, I also watched the whole thing, and I'll um. You know, I I am in agreement that the last two entries of Small Axe are the weakest, but I think the you know education is a little bit better than Alex Weedle. But I really liked uh, Lovers Rock, um, which is his just kind of like it's a it's it's a party. <laughs> All it is is a party, um, and I think it's just beautifully beautifully shot and edited. And um, I really like Red, White, and Blue, which sees a uh, John Boyega becoming a cop after he, after his father is beaten by cops. And, um, I thought this, it's, it's maybe the most straightforward entry in the whole thing. And I just thought the story and where it goes was just very hard hitting. Really liked it. Uh, it's, it made me sad. Aw. I love, I love to be made sad. (laughs) Hmm. So was there like there's no like actual order to watch them in is there? No. Really, just the just the order, order that they're on on Amazon, oh. yeah. They're like episodes right. on the on yeah, on Amazon it calls them episodes 1, 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. And they they were oh, released okay. they were released once a week up through like December 18th or something. Okay, cuz I'm still planning on watching them, but you know. I mean they're really easy yeah. to get through too. That's another thing is that like the times mm. are like even I mean the longest one is Mangrove and it's not even two hours. So the mm. last two are only an hour and five minutes each. Mm. I mean they're yeah. really easy to get through. It's good that the two worst ones don't like yeah. stick around <laughs> too long. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I actually I think that education probably could have been better if it was longer, a little bit more fleshed out. But I felt the same way about uh, Red, White, and Blue. Actually, I I liked Red, White, and Blue a lot also, but. I I could have st- stood to watch it longer. I was impressed by Boyega, and I've never I never seen him in anything except Star Wars, and I thought he was really good in it. So yeah, mm. he was awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. Kev, cool. Uh, so I finally rewatched the game. Oh, with oh. yeah, David Fincher's follow up to Seven. Which I was reading about it on uh, Wikipedia, and like apparently it got like a like a mixed reaction from critics, and they were like, and there you know obvious like comparisons to Seven and whatever, but like to me this one is just so far above Seven, like what it's trying to do and what it what it does. I think it's. I don't know. Like, um, I just think I just think it's for me. It's just a better story, and I think it's better, better told. Because you also have to think of it as like this is like Fincher's third movie, or maybe second if you it's if you don't count. Movie. How you gotta <laughs> yeah, count I know. Alien Three. Well, I know, but you know, it's like I I don't know if it uh, 
if it actually did, but apparently Alien 3 had Alan Smithy on it at one point or whatever the pseudonym is for for uh, people but who I mean, yeah, but I mean, dis- if you, disown if their you, movies. Anyway. If you buy the movie, it, it'll say it's directed by David Fincher in the yeah, credits. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, he directed it. Well, so. yeah, beca- yeah, because of what he became. You know, he's sure, David Fincher. Sure. Um, it but honestly, yeah, and uh, honestly, I, I mean, I know J.R. watched it. I doubt he'll talk about it, but... Alien Three plays like a David Fincher movie. Also, it plays like an like it seems like something he would do early in his career. Like it's got his music mm. video aesthetic to it, you know. So I don't know. Anyways, go on with the game. The game is great. Yeah, the game is fantastic. <clears throat> like Michael Douglas is just so fucking good. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, and Sean Penn. I think he's only maybe in it for like a total of five minutes, but he's amazing <laughs> as well. Awesome. Um, and like uh, the guy. Um, uh, the, James the TV Reborn. guy, James yes. Reborn, yeah, yeah, he is fucking, he is so good. He's pr- he's just like such a reliable character actor. Like Absolutely, you, you get the impression that you Absolutely. just hire him and he just shows up and he just knocks it out of the park on the first take. You know, yeah, which is basically like what his character, like that's the kind of character that he's playing right. in the movie. You know, a guy who just shows up, does a great job, and it's like, see you later. I'm taking my kids to the zoo. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, like could have used him in Zombies. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, maybe it would have gotten a star from me or or half. Yeah, well. but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I cannot say enough good things about the game. Like, um, it, like it definitely has my favorite moment in any Fincher film. The scene where like uh, <laughs> Michael Douglas is sitting in his car, he's like flipping through like the yellow pages, and some dude tries to rob him. And he pick he picks up that huge ass pistol and he goes, "I'm feeling very fragile right now." <laughs> and the guy runs off and like yeah, drops good. his weapon in the car. I love it. I love it. That's a little little throwback to his falling down performance, right? Indeed. I'm about to lose it. Yeah. All. Anyway, which is on Netflix. Jr. Yeah, do it. Wink, Jr. Wink. It. Nudge. Nudge. No. Power through it again. <laughs> When are you guys gonna do ninety three on that on that uh, awards thing? <laughs> I don't know. We're doing ninety two right now, so oh boy, Probably oh not damn, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, I watched uh, the Nest, which uh, is Sean Durkin's first film since Martha Marcy May Marlene. He's done a lot of TV work, apparently. I know. I remember hearing that he was gonna be like the showrunner or the director of the episodes on the Exorcist TV show. But I don't think that actually happened. I think they made that show without him. I think he dropped out. But anyways, uh, The Nest was awesome. It's uh, a very kind of stark adult drama about a marriage falling apart. Um, Jude Law and Carrie Coon play married couple with two kids. And they live in, I think they live in New York. I'm not really sure, but it's only at the beginning. Excuse me. Jude Law convinces her to move the whole family back to England and they buy a place in Surrey and it's just like a downward spiral of shit when they get to Surrey. Uh, And it's amazing. It's just so well crafted and well written and the direction is amazing. The performances are wonderful. Again, if it were a normal year, I'd say Jude Law is in the running. Uh, Carrie Coon probably as well. Of course, it's not a normal year, so who knows what will happen. But um, 
I mean, honestly, Durkin should be up for director for it too, if, in, in my opinion. And I'll say that the score, I'm looking at my top 10, and I think it's the best score of the year. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think anything comes close. The score is by a guy, one of the members of the Arcade Fire, actually, who I'd never heard of. Um, I can't remember his fucking name now. But uh, it's just this, like, weird, like, um, ominous, jazzy, like, upright bass and piano, but they're, like, dissonant sounding. Like, they don't 100% go together. It's really wonderful. I actually added it to my Apple Music. (laughs) And I'm going to listen to it. Um, But, yeah, I highly, highly recommend The Nest to anyone who likes a good movie. You know, if you just if you like bad movies, stay away. This uh, the guy's (laughs) name is Richard Reed Perry. Richard Mm. Reed Perry. Yeah. And he's one of the founding members, apparently, of the Arcade Fire. But um, Kevin, Mm. (laughs) go ahead. So uh, continued on watching the uh, Harry Potter movies. Um, I'd say they're all, you know, pretty decent. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of not great stuff in all of the movies, but there's some good stuff that you can take away from, like, uh, Pattinson is really good in the fourth one, because, you know, Pattinson's great. Um, but I, I will, I will say, like, uh, I, watching these movies is, like, now with, you know, having children, it's, it's a lot more emotional than I was ready for because uh, spoiler alert for, you know, the three of you in the world who haven't read the Harry Potter books or seen the movies. Uh, Pattinson's character dies at the end of the fourth one. I didn't know that. And I'm just kidding. I've seen it. I saw, I saw at it. least we'll get mail. Hey, we, uh, <laughs> we get we oh, the only kind of mail we get is from uh, f- like super small filmmakers who want us to watch their movie and talk about it on the show. Because yeah. I think that we have listeners. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Pattinson's character dies, and like, uh, like his father's in the crowd, and like, you know, run, runs out onto the grass screaming, "That's my son! That's my boy!" And I'm like, "No, I'm not ready for this." <laughs> um. Anyway, I'd say they're worth watching at least once. I'll be watching them a lot more because this is uh. This is the best way that we found to get the boys to go to sleep. Just putting on a random Harry Potter movie and eventually they'll just pass out. Knocks them right uh, out. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, Sharon told me that she tried to get them to watch uh, Sword in the Stone and they were just bored. So I'm like, man, because Sword in the Stone is my favorite Disney movie. But maybe eventually, you know, eventually they'll maybe they'll get around to it. <laughs> Uh, so I was cruising on, uh, Hulu the other day. I forget what I was actually looking for, but I saw that Johnny Mnemonic was on there. I was like, oh, gotta watch this. Uh, cause <laughs> I was a big fan of Johnny Mnemonic for a long, long time. And, uh, it's okay. The movie itself is not good, but it's one of the movies that I still enjoy because of, you know, like some nostalgia, some of the stuff I think is actually genuinely good. Uh, Dana Meyer's performance is absolute shit. Uh, Udo Kier is not good. Um, he, I'm sorry, he's not. Yeah. Uh, so 
but yeah, like I I like I like Keanu Reeves in it. Uh, Henry Rollins is passable. Like some of the stuff he does is good, but some of it is just stupid and like bad. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is entirely over the top, which is fantastic. It works well. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like. Like when you were talking about cyberpunk earlier, I was like, you, "And you didn't watch Johnny Mnemonic?" No, Rustin, uh, Rustin uh, watched this, and I thought about it because oh, yeah. it's definitely. I mean, you watch, you play cyberpunk for ten minutes, and you see nine hundred different movies that they're pulling from. You know, and Johnny Mnemonic is certainly yeah, yeah. one of them. But um, yeah, I mean, with all the data transfer in your head and all that kind of shit, they do a lot of that in cyberpunk. Yeah, and, and yeah. even the, um, I saw a, a part of a trailer before I played the game that had the like the laser whip thing. In the in mm. cyberpunk, but I haven't found it yet. So nice. We'll see. Yeah, watching it this time, I was I was. <laughs> it was fairly interesting because the movie takes place in 2021, and uh, while the movie is going on, there's this. Uh, they call it an epidemic in the movie, but it's a, you know, it's a pandemic. Uh, everybody has this disease called nerve attenuation syndrome. Um, and like that, you know, that's a big part of the plot, but, uh, I was like, Hmm, this is really weird. Like end of 2020, I'm watching a movie that takes place in 2021 and there's a pandemic and, you know, and it's obviously not quite as fun as, uh, as Johnny Mnemonic is. Of course not. Yeah. Cause it's real. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I gave it a three because some of this stuff is actually really good. But I, at the same time, it's like I just – oh, it's so bad too. But, I mean, there's a, there's a great moment where, like, uh, Keanu Reeves is get, going through customs and you're like, you know, welcome to Newark. And then the KMFDM kicks in and I'm like, man, this is really cool. What is KMFDM? Uh, it's a band. Oh. Uh, industri- industrial metal band. Uh, you might know Juke Joint Jezebel. I think that might be their their biggest hit. Or like um, Megalomaniac was. Let me in, write, uh, write that down for the out- for the outro music here. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, okay, that's cool. Um, well, if you do get the song, it's yeah. Virus the Pestilence Remix. This guy's losing it. He's like, you really want that <laughs> to do the outro music now? <clears throat> That's uh, something I forgot to mention last week on the uh, on the show when, or last time on the show when we talked about uh, Citizen Kane, and I mm. I used it for the outro music. It's the the song "The Union Forever," the White Stripes song. I had totally forgotten that it's just it's essentially the it's just all of its lyrics come from Citizen Kane. I had totally forgot. Oh, this. so kind of kind of cool. <laughs> kinda good. I remember loving it. I don't know, we got some Freudian slips here. Yeah, I loved that song when I was uh into the White Stripes back in the day. All right, well, I'll just talk about two more very briefly, which is uh I I watched the final cut of uh Apocalypse Now last night on 4K for the first, it's my very first 4K watch ever. And uh it's, you know, Apocalypse Now is my favorite film of all time. Any cut that I watch will be my favorite film of all time. It doesn't lose any points for everything. Every shot of it is beautiful. Every performance is terrific. Uh, I'm in the minority who thinks that the plantation stuff is great. And that's still in this cut. Uh, this The difference between this cut and the redux seems to be 
that they've excised the uh, all the Playboy Bunny stuff. They still go to the Playboy Bunny show on the docks, but they don't fuck the Playboy Bunnies afterwards as they do in Redux. Mm. And uh, that's fine. I don't re- recall 100% uh, what that even is like in the movies, in the uh, Redux, because it's been a long time since I've seen that. But I'll say that this release, what bums me out about it, okay, is that I'm watching this thing on 4K. It looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. I got it really fucking loud. And I'm like, I move my chair up to the TV. I'm like three feet from the TV. I'm just like soaking it in, you know? And uh, and then at right near the end of the plantation scene, when the French fellow gets up from the table, all of a sudden the sun, the, the sun, the sound cuts out and starts going. And I'm like, is this some kind of like weird thing that Coppola is like, you know, input into this this cut? It's like a weird, you know, like narrative device for things like change the sound for this part. It's like it's part of the score or something. Because the score is really, it's pretty strange. I never really noticed it before. It's um, it's like all synthy and everything. But uh, no, it's just a problem with the soundtrack of the disc. And I looked it up and uh, it's like a problem that a lot of people are having. And uh, you can easily fix it by just changing over to a different audio channel. But it means that you're not getting the, the peak audio. You're getting the Dolby 2.0 audio, which is lesser audio which really upset me. And it honestly, it took me like 30 minutes to figure it out. So I had to like, you know, I had to take a massive break in the middle of the film, which really pissed me off. Mm. So that sucked. But, um, so do you have to have like special sound equipment for it to really, I honestly, uh, people are saying that it has to do with the, the PlayStation that like the PlayStation's firmware needs to be updated or something that if you're watching it on like a normal 4k player, it would work fine. But I don't know how true any of that is. A lot of people don't seem to have the issue, so who knows? Who knows? But, uh, hmm. you know, as always, love it. Love every second of it. Uh, like I say, the score is great. Robert Duvall, just amazing in this. Just such a weird, like, polar opposite performance from his last Coppola feature. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like him in The Godfather and even his sort of small role in uh, the, the uh, conversation, he's just such a, like – it's incredible to see him transform into this domineering macho asshole in apocalypse now. And I was actually going to ask, cause JR, you, you watched the theatrical cut recently, right? Uh, yeah, pretty recently. Can you tell me, cause I don't recall, do, do they steal his surfboard in the theatrical cut? No. Okay. That's in this too. They steal his surfboard as they're, <laughs> as they're leaving. And then there's like this whole scene where they, they go and hide in the, like on the banks of the river under a tree as the, uh, Robert Duvall sends helicopters after them playing a recording of him to the uh, surfer guy. He's like, Lance, please return my surfboard. I really liked it. You know how hard it is to find a good board. <laughs> it's, just, it's a pretty great, it's a pretty great moment. And then they end up like, mm. tossing the surfboard. They don't want it. But, uh, yeah, I love Apocalypse Now. Just a great film about the pointlessness of war and uh, sort of almost maybe the pointlessness of existence. And the uh, last film that I'll talk about is my first film on the Criterion Watch, whatever it's called. What is that? What is the, the, the challenge called? We're just calling it the Criterion, the Criterion Challenge. Challenge. The Criterion Challenge. So, JR, you want to explain what this is to our audience? Because we're all doing this, right? So, mm. Yeah, so this is a, like a, a letterboxed challenge. 
And, you know, people set up these letterbox challenges all the time, every year. There's all kinds of them. Um, they don't really usually stand out to me, but I just happen to be like looking through uh, the currently popular lists recently. And um, someone has set up a challenge where you watch one criterion movie or criterion related movie uh, per week with 52 uh, different categories. So like category one is watch a movie from 1984 that's on criterion or the criterion channel. Um, Cause that is the first year of criterion's existence. You know, the second one is like watch a, I think it's a Kira Kurosawa movie. Um, third one's a Jean-Luc Godard movies, right? So like throughout we have um, different genres and um, directors, you know, that the Criterion has released a lot of, you know, there's a film noir category, samurai category. Uh, there's like a watch anything that's available on the channel category. Uh, watch something that's like a spine number between 100 and 200. All kinds of shit. Um, but yeah, made we each made our own like version of the list with the 52 movies or whatever amount of movies that we have planned so far. I said I didn't want to plan 52. And then of course I stayed up late one night and did all 52. Uh, and Kevin, I think you did all 52 as well. Is that correct? Yep. yep. I, I only planned the first four. Like I told you guys in the text, I got stymied when I got to the laser disc one, because there's so many options um, from their laser disc catalog. But th- beyond that, I thought about like, I'm going to get to, you know, March and there's going to be a movie that's on there that I'm going to have to watch and be like, I don't want to watch this movie. And then I'm going to have to change my list. You know what I mean? So I don't want to have to plan yeah. that far ahead. Mm. Well, and, and I, I was thinking about it. Like I did all the planning and of course, some of the stuff that is on the Criterion channel oh, now, right. yeah. it's going to, it's, it's just not going to be there anymore. True. And mm. I'm going to be like, all right, now I got to find a new movie or Sorry. just like find a, a less convenient way to watch that movie. But I don't care. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure making for, the for list was them, fun. So, yeah, yeah, and like, like I tried as hard as I could to structure it. Like, okay, these are things that I really genuinely do want to watch, or in some cases watch again, because like there's a lot of stuff that I have seen, but I've been meaning to rewatch forever. But this will give me a solid enough reason to like, no, finally watch it again. Yeah, yeah, and I like. <clears throat> I I don't have a Kurosawa feature that I've not seen, you know. So I'm like, it's been a long time since we I've seen Redbeard. We like texted about Redbeard I think last yep in the last couple of weeks. So I put it on there, and then like I've seen every Michelangelo Antonioni movie uh, feature, and there's a, a thing for him. I don't want to watch any of his movies again, even the ones I like. They're just like hard, like tough hangs generally. So like mm. there there's he's got like a, an eleven minute short on uh on oh, the Criterion such channel. Such a cheat, <laughs> such a it's, cheat. But you know what, John? I've done the work. I've seen all of his fucking movies. Um, <laughs> Watch the one that you haven't seen the longest, like in the longest period of time. That is mm. what I'm doing for Fellini. Oh, I see. Ah, uh, okay. Like I'm watching Amarcord because I haven't seen that since I was 16. I think it was the one of the first Criterion movies I ever rented from the library. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So I watched my uh, my first one of these, which is from 1984. It's a Tesha Gahara documentary called Antonio Godi. 
and uh, or Gau- Gaudi, I don't Gaudi, know. Gaudi. Okay, they don't ever say his name. I don't think in the in the film. It's a very strange documentary because it's almost completely just uh, imagery of of this uh, Antonio Gaudi's uh, architecture in Spain. <clears throat> he was an architect, and uh, there's a lot of these buildings that he created all over Spain, and they're just absolutely gorgeous and completely insane. Uh, their design, they're organic, and some of them don't look like they should be standing, like they're just weirdly organized, and the pillars are like going sideways and shit. I don't know. It's really bizarre. And a lot of it's, uh, like, I'm not sure, but I would imagine, I know Peter Jackson's like a real, you know, he's like a film head cinema guy, right? He's, I would imagine that he his influence for some of the, the Lord of the Rings Hobbit kind of stuff, like especially like the indoors of their their uh, dwellings in the Shire. Mm. There's a lot of like rounded edges. There aren't any hard angles. And that seems like that's really what Gaudi was all about, just like trying to eliminate. He wanted to be, it looked like he wanted to make everything look organic and uh, sort of like it's springing out of nature. And uh, I could see it, you know, really influencing Jackson in that way, as well as I'm sure lots and lots of other um, filmmakers and, and architects and artists. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's really short. It's like 70 minutes long. Um, and it's very just incredibly unique as a, as a documentary. Like there's very little spoken, uh, dialogue in it at all. And mm. honestly, even some of the dialogue that is spoken in it, I, I question why it's even in there. I was just like, I was like, I don't understand why you included that. You haven't had dialogue for an hour, and all of a sudden this guy's talking. Like, why? Like, you know, what do we need this information for? And uh, the last ten or fifteen minutes are all about his most famous uh, work, which is this cathedral in Spain, which looks amazing and it's unfinished. And uh, oh, it's it the sarcophagus. Sarcophia. Uh, what, what is? It? Do you remember? The I name? can't remember. No, I can't remember what it's called. I believe part of it's on the cover of the Criterion uh, thing. No, it's in. My wife has been there. Oh no, shit! That's cool. Yeah, it's, mm. it's really, really uh, awesome. And uh, but and then there's a lot of dialogue during that part, or like sort of like voiceover um, of someone explaining the history of it, which is which is great because. At that point in the film, you want you almost want some kind of information as opposed to just imagery of the of the structures. But yeah, mm. I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it was enjoyable. I liked it, and it's my uh, second Teshigahara film. So it's I was s- just about to ask if you were on the episode where we did uh, Face of Another. Yeah, I watched that. Uh, okay, and I liked it. I didn't love it, but I, I've been yeah. wanting to see uh, the other the other two big ones: Woman in the Dunes and um, Yeah. What's the other one called? Pit? Uh, something about a pit? Pitfall. <laughs> Pitfall, yeah. Pitfall. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to see those two. I have them downloaded. I just haven't watched yeah. them yet. But, um, they might be on the Criterion. I'm channel. sure they are also. I, yeah. I, I probably didn't have Criterion when I yeah. when I wanted to watch those. Anyways, so that's mm. it for me. And JR, that's it for you, right? Kevin, you have anything else? You don't, you don't want to talk about Zoomies? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we can talk. I was, that's like the next thing we jump into, right? Oh, right, right, right. Or would okay. we do Zoomies um, first, or do you want to do top tens first? <laughs> oh. I mean, I don't no have decision. much to say about Zoomies besides it was really shitty. Uh, I took notes like, on Zoomies, so I have I have a few things wow. to say. It's not, it's, it's not as... Actually, I think I might have more notes on Zoomies than Dead Again. No, I have about the same. Wow. I have about the and same. To, and to our, to our non-listeners, right. uh, Zoomies was... 
yeah, I don't want to call it a punishment because mm. it doesn't have to be a punishment. It definitely was uh, a punishment though this time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For for having seen the fewest uh I think Peter Weir movies, you guys. Right. Right. Had to watch Zombies. Mm. It's uh yeah, and it was unfortunate. It uh came up in our movie roulette face off uh and it's an asylum picture from a few years ago starring uh no one you've ever heard of. Apparently the 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 British lady who's in it is somebody she's in the new black widow film so she's something of mm. a of a interesting minor celebrity but uh yeah i just took some notes while i was watching it it's a movie about a zombie outbreak at a zoo mm. and only the creatures get the virus for some reason only the animals and they just kind of like rip you apart whenever they get it and uh it's very poorly made extremely low budget uh poorly acted and uh, I wrote that – I actually texted you guys this, but it looks and plays like high-budget porno. Like it looks like uh, – it reminds me of this – there was this porno movie <laughs> that came out about 10 years ago called Pirates 2. Have you guys ever heard of this? Pirates 2? It's the high, I think so. Yeah, it's the high – I want to say it's the second one. Anyways, it's like the highest-budget porno ever made. I think it cost like two million dollars, so it wasn't you know it's not that high budget, but uh, it had all the big stars and everything, and it's it has you know production value that you wouldn't normally see in a pornography film, and uh, this has that same level of production value, like just really minimal garbage, looks like a student film almost, and uh, uses makes use of a lot of stock footage. Kevin, I don't know if you noticed this, but like whenever mm. whenever discount Sarah Chalk was making her phone call to the police outside. And yes. she um, yes. and she's talking to the police officer, and they use stock footage of a, what I imagine is an actual police officer. He's just got a, he's mm. he's on the phone, but he's got his back to the camera, so you can't see him his mouth moving. He's, and they he's use, not even on a phone; he's on a walkie-talkie, <laughs> and she is talking on her cell phone. Right, just brutal. Yes, but I mean, honestly, kind of like kind of <laughs> a smart way to get around spending money on that. But at, but at true, the same time, true. it's just like it's smart in the way that like I would expect a high schooler to do something like that in their short film for English yes, class. Yes, yes, um, yes. Some great dialogue here. I don't give a damn about protocol. This animal must live. <laughs> this this great. Oh my god! That I I knew from that first scene, like the yeah. way all the dialogue is delivered, and it, it's just oh, we are in for. <clears throat> if I can quote my co-host, brutal. <laughs> brutal i mean it was like uh it was like a um it's definitely the kind of thing that you'd see a riff track riff tracks of in fact uh, yeah, Rust, rustin uh saw part of it and he he agreed he was like this is like you know something that riff tracks would would do uh, and make fun of but i feel like it's almost too bad for that even like it's just like it's mm. too easy it would be too easy to make fun of this yeah um, yeah yeah the there's like this gorilla who is infected throughout the film and there's a mm. CG model of the gorilla, which all the CG is obviously like, you know, 1999 to 2000 level. It looks like it's honestly, it looks like yeah, the CG yeah, that you probably see in uh, in Johnny Mnemonic. And uh, <laughs> I would say, I mean, you're right, but the stuff in Johnny Mnemonic at least has, you know, it has its own flair. So I'd sure. say it looks better. <laughs> this looks really bad. CG model mm. the gorilla looks nothing like the man in the suit who plays the gorilla. <laughs> There's like a totally different face, you know, and the face of the man in the suit looks like the man in the suit looks like they bought the gorilla suit at a Halloween shop. Like it's got like almost like like a sly smile on the face. Like, 
Yeah. You know, it's just, it's really silly. Yeah, it's like the most expensive thing you could get from Party City. Exactly. Uh, I own Butler, who is the British lady. She looks like a real life elf to me. Her nose is really bizarre to me. I don't understand what's going on with her face. Uh, mm. I And I wrote, uh, you know, I wrote, you know, it's definitely, it feels like a punishment film, you know, and I agree with JR. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, doesn't have to be a punishment. Uh, this thing, you know, eventually we're going to get to a film that is good or watchable or at least interesting. <clears throat> Sorry about this. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I wrote that it's, uh, beneath contempt also that, that mm. it's, it's, it's self-aware enough that I don't, I'm not mad at it. Like, I'm not like this movie, fuck this movie. Whereas something like I remember when we did the episode on Found, do you remember this, Kevin? Yes. Okay. Yes. Like Found is an upsetting film. It's it's offensive to me because it's so mm. it thinks it's like high art, and it yeah, that yeah. bothers me. This movie obviously they know this movie is a piece of shit. Like they're not dumb. Yeah. The Asylum guys, they're they're working a they're working a, an algorithm, right? They're trying to make a movie mm. for a small amount of money to make a little bit of profit, and then they'll churn out another one, right? It's the it's the canon films sort of uh, way of doing things, and that's fine, you know. And these movies are trash, and they're they're literally made for people to watch in groups and make fun of, but they're not really mm. worthy of that. Like they're not interesting enough to do that because they know what they're doing. They know they're making yeah. a stupid piece of shit. It's not like The Room where you mm. get the idea that Tommy Wiseau doesn't understand that the movie is bad, which makes it funny to watch uh, for some people. Mm. I, I don't get anything out of that personally, but I, you know, I know people, a lot yeah. of people do. So, yeah, this movie is beneath contempt for me. It's not something that I'm upset about having. I'm upset about having to watch only because it, it took up time that I could have been watching something else. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I said it's only, I, my last note is it's only half a star worse than Shirley. So <laughs> no, I, and I gave it half a star as opposed to zero. I contemplated zero. Kevin gave it zero, right? Kevin. Yes. And I, I contemplated zero, but again, just because of its self-awareness, I figure I'm like, well, you know, it's not, it's not offensive. I give a zero to an offensive film. Mm. So yeah, that's zombies. It's a piece of shit. Um, yep. It's on Prime if you want to watch it for some reason. I don't know why you would want to, but it's there. Yeah. Zombies <clears throat> 2 is on there because there's... Um, the same director, too. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, at the end of Zombies, you get this... like, I, I don't know where this one gorilla comes from. I don't know where it is in relation to you know the parts of the zoo. Right. There's just a gorilla with its eyes closed out of nowhere. It opens its eyes, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, I actually thought about if if they had it's like that it's like a moment that you've seen in lots of horror films where they're just pushed yeah, they're yeah. pushing in on the face and the music is building and then its eyes open like Dah! and then it cuts to black and I was thinking I might have even gone up half a star on it I might have given it a full star if they had just pushed in like that with its eyes closed and then cut to black before its eyes opened mm. so there is yeah. no you know what I mean like they're almost like they're playing. Yeah playing that out in some kind of ridiculous like you know like this there is no sequel don't worry <laughs> like that would have been uh really interesting so anyway mm. let's uh let's move on before we get to our deep dive you want to guys want to talk about our top tens real quick or our top whatever uh kevin watched four 2020 movies this year apparently <laughs> yeah one of them was gold man versus silver man 
Oh my. The Silverman, sorry. Oh, the oh the Safty Brothers the thing? Short. Yes. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um do you want to just do you, do you have a top 3 or is it not even worth getting into? Yeah, I'll do a top 3. Okay, uh yeah. so for me it's uh the Zappa documentary by Alex Winter, then uh Mank, then Defy Bloods. Oh, Defy Bloods made it onto your list. Okay. By necessity. Of course, yeah. You don't have anything else, so what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, uh, JR, do you want, well, how do you want to do this? Do you want to just say what yours are? Or do you want to take turns? Yeah. We can uh, We can take turns, but we shouldn't spend a ton of time on any, you know, just for the sake of I don't time. either. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to. I don't have anything to say about most of these anyway. Okay. That I haven't said before. Hmm. Yeah, Go so, listen to uh, the other episodes if you want to hear his opinions. I have only have one movie on here that I have not talked about on this show. So I can't remember. Um, I have one that I might not have talked about, but I, I think I did. Uh, and we just talked about Shirley, obviously. So <laughs> spoiler. Hey, uh, um, my ten, my number ten is uh, Palm Springs. That delightful. Andy Samberg, uh, you know, Groundhog Day twist. This is a weak year, eh? <laughs> Andy Samberg fucking movie. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Are you? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, you're, done, you're done talking about that already. I'm not going to say anything I mean, about it. Got I it. already talked about it. Of course. All right. My number 10 is the only movie that I haven't talked about, which is... Anybody? Drum roll? Hang on. i got to get back to it now. You haven't, you haven't talked about it. We don't know. I know. I just left it. Here we go. Turn that, open it back up. Uh, Bad Education, which is oh, the cool. HBO film uh, about the scandal oh, yeah. of the administration in some school district in New York. They stole a bunch of money. And it stars Hugh Jackman and uh, what's-her-face, the recent Oscar winner who's on that sitcom, Alice Janney. Mm. And uh, they're both good in it. Jackman is particularly good, of course, completely reliable. And I would say, hmm. the only thing I really want to say about this is uh, it's very, very watchable, very entertaining, and uh, it plays the the small amount of comedy in this film plays really, really well, and this is exactly what you want out of something like this, as opposed to, say, if, uh, what's that goofy bastard who did uh, <laughs> who did that, the, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, I'm totally blanking now. The movie with uh, Steve Carell and and Christian Bale and Gosling about the stock market. Margot Robbie oh, the, was in a bathtub. Guy. Yeah. No. What? Yeah, he directed Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What's his name? Like McKay, Adam McKay, right? Yeah. If, oh, yeah, if uh, McKay had done yeah. this movie, it would have been a train wreck. Like it would have just been nonstop, you know, goofy graphics on the screen and <clears throat> fucking you know bar graphs and shit. And I, I can't, I can't <laughs> deal with it. You know, this is just really impeccably made. It's it's very well shot. It's shot on film. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, it's just a very entertaining, well well done movie. Uh, wouldn't make my top ten in a normal year probably because it would there would be stuff that was maybe more resonant than this. But, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Check it out. It's on HBO. Also has Ray Romano in it. He's quite good in it. So. Mm. All right. Uh, my number nine, we've, we've already talked about now. My number nine, it's a uh, 
is Mangrove. Uh-oh. Small small axe movie. Small axe episode 1. That's that's fair. My number 9 is Sound of Metal, which uh, I enjoyed. Check out the last episode where I talked about it. All right, uh at number 8 I have Lovers Rock, the second episode. How you, how, small oh, axe. How do you have those right <laughs> next to each other in the top 10? <laughs> it's it it's not something I I wanted. <laughs> uh, my number eight is Mangrove. So we're, we're right. We're neck and neck there, bud. Yeah. Mm. You guys are going to fucking love this. My number seven is uh, Red, White, and Blue, episode oh three god. of Small Axe. Oh, my God. Wow. That is gross, dude. You are gross. My number seven, my number seven is, is even grosser. Okay? And you guys are going to really – I'm about to – you're going to read me the riot act on this one, Okay. Especially after what we talked about earlier, I, but I can't help it. I have to preface this: it's it's too good for me not to include it. It's a TV show. Jesus Christ! Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, Frank is so disappointed. I in you. know that. I know that. It's a mini series. <laughs> it's called Devs, and it has to be included in this list because there's by virtue of how empty this year is of five star material. Mm. Devs is Was that a five star series? It's a four and a half. Okay. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Mm. That's how I judged it as such. I didn't rate it when I logged it. I didn't even log mm. it, I don't think. I just wrote I just uh clicked on the watch thing. Jerry, you super disappointed in me? <laughs> I want the record to show that you have uh more TV on your list than I do. Uh because Bad <laughs> Education is also a TV movie. Oh uh, fuck off. That doesn't <laughs> But HBO bought it, they didn't produce it. Sure. So that doesn't and count. And a whole, a whole series, uh, well, a wow. mini series, just <laughs> a limited series. A limited, if you will. yeah, limited series. <laughs> like, I love Ron Swanson, so I had to put him on my list. Oh fuck that! <laughs> He's my least favorite part about it. Devs is great though. Check out Devs. It's definitely it's it's uh, it's Garland redeeming himself after the annihilation misstep. Ah, so. Hmm. And I, wait. Is that his only misstep? Do you guys are you, you guys fans of Ex Machina? I don't like I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Okay. I want to say I gave it like a three and a half. I gave it a three. Uh, I think the last time I watched it. It's we talked about it on the uh, we did like a double deep dive on the Annihilation episode. That's true. Yeah, I think I rewatched it for that. I and remember. and I like I like his writing mm. for the most part. I mean, I like Twenty Eight Days Later. I like uh, Dread. Mm. I don't love the beach, although I've been back and forth on the beach my entire life. Mm. I've been like, I've liked it the and I've disliked it and i liked it and then disliked it. Anyways, that's my number seven. Devs, deal with it. <sighs> number six is um, uh, apparently the worst movie of the year is uh, Shirley. <laughs> it's close. It's movie close. I really liked. My number six is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Okay, wait. That got. A theatrical release last year. Well, I saw it this year. It's on this <laughs> list. I don't know what to tell you. It's it's on my list. I'm not changing my list now. Oh wait. Well, then that's my number one too. If if it's counted as 2020, like I, I just looked on Letterboxd. Is Portrait of a Lady on Fire on your list last year, Jr.? Yeah, because it was eligible for the. So if I look like, at your it, it list got an right Oscar, now, it got an Oscar eligibility release last year. If I, in December, oh before if I look at your, if I look at your list, if I look at your list right now, it's on there. Yeah, it's at number two on my 2019 list. What, what, what am I going to do with this? 
but no, nothing because it doesn't matter it's fine no that's not as offensive as including fucking devs when, when <laughs> what was the actual release date? shut the fuck what was the actual release date of portrait of lady on fire i don't know Watch, it it's like December. 2018 <laughs> why, why are you asking me this you you have it up on your computer don't you yeah i'm looking at it right now hang on 14 February 2020, USA. No, that's that is the day that it was released on Hulu. Hold on. What hold should on. I count? The Telluride Wait. fucking film festival? I mean, what? No, hold on. <laughs> hold, hold, hold it. Hold in it. France, it was released in September of last year. I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, I'm not going off French release dates here. Belgium, October of last year. Greece, October. Netherlands, October. U.S. Film festival, film festival, film festival. Until <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm waiting, bud. This this played at a lot of film festivals. That's a long yeah. list. Only film festivals. Exclusive screening. Exclusive screening. December sixth, twenty nineteen. That doesn't count because I couldn't have gotten to an exclusive screening. I'm not no, a fucking film. But that critic. was limited. December sixth, <laughs> L.A. and New York. That's not what it says. It says exclusive film screening. No, it says on IMDb. It says exclusive screening. I'm on the IMDb. It's right after. Oh, it's Look right, right after. below that. Limited in LA and New York. What am I supposed to do about that? Can I go to LA to see this fucking movie? That's... No, but that's, that's how from we now do this on. I'm just year. gonna make a list that's like this is the top of what I watched in this year. <laughs> so like, I've, I've thought about that too. Like, okay, let's let's yeah. pretend that Nomadland is going to be a, as good as critics say it is, right? Sure. And we're talking about Nomadland at the end, or, or in a few months when we mm-hmm. can actually see it. But like that is a 2020 commercial release, even though it's only been released in LA and New York and I think Chicago, right? Because that is I don't know, man. Like it's. That if is no, a if theatrical Nomad commercial Man, yeah, release. I mean, I, no, I, I, you know, I'm not stupid. Like, I get what you're saying. I'm just Nomad Land. I don't think you do. I know you don't. If Nomad Land <laughs> is is released on Netflix in February, I'll probably count it as a 2021 release. I'm not going to lie. Okay, that you're just makes the most sense now, for me. So that's fine. Oh, I, I, otherwise, we're going off what the Oscars say. Is that is that is that how our lists? I mean, your list is your list, right? That's, so it's like. Is that yeah. the way we're thinking about it? Like, if it's eligible for Oscars, that's the year it came out. I So, yeah, unless it is in the documentary or foreign language category, which, like, those don't require commercial, like, like you just, those are, like, basically sent in as applications. They don't have to have a commercial release for those two categories, mm-hmm. uh, along with the short films, which, who gives a shit about short films? Whereas, like, every other category, it has to have been commercial release commercially released in that year yeah i'll i like to follow that rule i'm not you can follow whatever rules you want my number six is portrait of a lady on fire <laughs> okay all right i'm, I'm glad we worked through it i'm the sorry. sixth greatest film of 2020 <laughs> <laughs> um all right my five this is yeah you guys are just not gonna like my list for a while uh, though i don't think either of you've seen this uh my number five is the assistant, which uh, was the the Kitty Green kind of um, low key Weinstein inspired uh, drama mm. with a, a great performance from Julia Garner, uh, and you know she's in that Ozark show I've never seen, and uh, featuring one of the best scenes of the year, 
between her and, and Matthew McFadden. It's fucking, it's glorious. That's heavy, heavy praise. Uh, my number five is The Nest, which I just talked about half an hour ago. So rewind and go back to that and listen to my review of The Nest and then come back and hear uh, what JR's number four is. Go ahead, JR. Yeah, my number four is John's uh, fourth worst movie of the year. It's She Dies Tomorrow, which oh, still just, uh, uh, you know, a, just a mood a piece that I movie. loved. <laughs> yeah, your list is pretty weak, bro. Both of our lists are, are <laughs> chaos. <laughs> My number four. Wait. Sorry, go ahead, John. You saw she the she dies tomorrow. One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked. Oh. We talked about John it. and I both talked about it on that episode. Oh, okay. Kevin doesn't uh, for listen some... while we talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, for for some reason I like, I remember Jr. talking about it, but I thought this was just you know like to use your phrase beneath contempt for you. No, I would like I'm, you like I, you wouldn't I've... touch it with a four and a, four and a half foot pole. <laughs> no, I thought it was. Uh... I thought parts of it were interesting. I, I didn't. You know, oh, okay. I'm always interested to watch stuff. It has a uh, Chris Messina, in it, and I'll watch anything with Chris Messina. Man, I like that guy. <laughs> Number four uh, is Possessor, which I loved, and I almost bought the 4K, but it was like twenty six dollars. I just could not pull the trigger wow. on that. It's too much, man. Mm. I'm, I'm surprised. Wait for surprised that's your number four. I thought that was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be even higher. Well, so it's only cool. a four. And, it's only a four and a half. So. <laughs> Let's see my uh, my number three, uh, and I this is the one I can't remember if I talked about on the show, but I think I did. It's called uh, the Grand Bazaar, which is a um, mm. I guess to say like experimental documentary sounds dumb, um, but it is a it's a very fascinating non narrative uh, documentary about um, textiles and rhythms, and it's really fun, cool, and that was released by. Mubi this year. Mm. Ah, but what did it play f- festivals last year? Uh oh, no, now we don't know festivals. what to do. Uh oh, <laughs> no, no, because it didn't get a single commercial release. I double checked. Oh my god, I double checked. Anyway, I anyway. follow my rules. Anyway, uh, my number three is Mank. Just a great, very enjoyable picture. Well made, incredibly well crafted. Fincher yeah. putting on his A game. It is a picture. I hate, I, I've come to hate Gary Oldman, but he really just cranks it out of the park in this one. I love him. Uh, so, yeah. You know, one thing I meant to mention when I talked about Soul, which is not on this list that I'm talking about, uh, it has a uh, a Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross score. Oh, right. Or, or oh, just yeah, Trent Reznor. Yeah. I can't remember. I think it's just Atticus, isn't it? Or is it just Trent? I no, thought it was just uh, No, it's, it's definitely them, Trent. I was, I was reading up on okay. Manx's soundtrack like the other day and like cruising Trent Reznor's Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Well, that, the yeah, Soul they're, really, score, they're really branching out. Soul score, very good. Yeah? Yep. It's not All like right, Manx. It's not just a bunch of random jazz shit. I mean, I like that random no. jazz shit. And I'm, it, not, and I'm just saying it doesn't sound It's not like, just that. Does it sound like Reznor? No, it doesn't. Oh. I think it sounds... Like a slightly elevated, you know, Disney Pixar score. Oh, okay, all right. Mm. Like, cool. like it's it's a better Michael Giacano, who I, f- <laughs> I feel like does all of the sure Pixar scores. He's their um, go-to guy. All right, number two. I'm thinking of ending things, which uh, you know we talked ah. to, we talked about a lot. Mm. Mm. Will my number two also be? I'm thinking of ending things. No, it won't, because it's First Cow. Number oh. two film of the year is First Cow. I wanted to rewatch mm. First Cow. 
Uh, and I'm thinking of any things, but I just could not find the time when I was watching all these small axe movies. And I thank thank you, Kevin. Kevin, yeah. Bought if, me eventually, I'll be able to get this to you. Thank you so much. And, and I, I haven't I, forgotten about you, Jr. But you know, you're just <laughs> kind of hard to shot. I mean, obviously, I could get you, you know, like a like a mega box of diapers, but like you know. <laughs> Oh, that's a good idea. I should have done that. I should have bought you something more practical, JR, <laughs> for your for Christmas. Um, yeah, and I have a gift for you also, Kevin. I just as soon as we're uh, able to be in the same room, I know we are technically now, but uh, mm-hmm. able to. But anyways, number two, first cow, Kelly Reichardt, just amazing. Never ceases to amaze. Love Kelly Reichardt. Well, you know, John, we we hated each other throughout this whole uh, <laughs> list, but. You know, our one and two are a nice little little flipsy daisy. Uh, my number one is is first cow. Wow, because yeah, hey. it's, it's really nice. That's really nice. My number one is uh, I'm thinking of any things, of course. So uh, that's wonderful. And honestly, I mean, if I'm really honest, they're they're pretty they're almost interchangeable at this point. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't disappoint me to say the first cow is my first my number one movie of the year. But they're both absolutely terrific in my opinion. And uh, yeah. I look forward mm. to uh, hopefully just a beautiful Criterion release. If I'm thinking thinking of ending things, that would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it was. Still, wa- still waiting on that release of uh, Ballad of Buster oh, Scruggs. I, I I randomly came across the opening scene uh, on Facebook the other day. Of all places, it was just playing randomly mm. on somebody's page, and I was like, and I watched almost the whole thing. And it's just so great, <laughs> like that whole thing with uh, whatever his name is, uh, Delmer from uh, Tim, oh, Blake Nelson? Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> He's just really perfectly cast for that role. Such a strange mm. role, but yeah. So that's our top uh, films of the year. Those are both going to be posted on our uh, letterbox pages, which you can access via our website, filmyakpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's that. Let's mm. move on to the main event, our deep dive, which is Kevin's pick, Dead Again, 1991, written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Kenneth Branagh. Branagh is like Orson Welles, no? Like he's like a he's like a young young buck Look. who comes along. <laughs> And makes, writes, directs, and stars in his own films that are really high-minded Shakespeare, you know? Taking on the establishment, taking on those, the old Shakespeare fucks who think that they're the ones who run things. And he's like, I'm 25, I'll play Henry V. He's supposed to be young. Go ahead, sorry. Is this like directly from a press release that Kenneth Branagh wrote about himself? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, I actually, I really did think about uh, uh, his similarity to a young Orson Welles when watching Dead Again, though. Just certain mm. aspects of the filmmaking, uh, but we can get into that. So, Kevin, uh, why Dead Again? Why now? Well, uh, real quick, uh, he didn't actually write this one. Uh-oh. See, I written by, mistake. Written by the creator of Queen's Gambit. Oh, right. That's right. I fucking have that in my notes. Scott Frank, God damn it. <laughs> I have that in my notes, yeah. And Out of Sight. He also wrote the Soderbergh vehicle, Out of Sight. Oh, nice. And he did, uh, he did Godless the, on uh, on Netflix yeah. before Queen's Gambit, which and I the saw. Lookout, he's, right. he's, got, he's got some interesting credits. 
yeah, yeah. he's uh, he's really it's weird because I remember the lookout when the lookout came out. Uh, I went to the theater to see it because it was getting a lot of really great reviews, and I didn't love it. But I remember thinking that was going to be like, like because I was hearing a lot about Scott Frank at the time. I was like, oh man, this guy's going to be like the next big thing, and then he kind of disappeared, and <laughs> I didn't hear about <laughs> him again until until Godless came out. Really, so. Mm. But uh, well, the reason I picked it was I saw it like four years ago because. I saw Kenneth Branagh and uh, Emma Thompson on the cover, and I was like, huh, let me check this out. And I remembered the concept in the movie being kind of interesting, but I didn't really remember much else about it besides that. So I was like, uh, you know, I looked on Letterboxd. uh, JR hadn't seen this one, which is rare. So I was like, uh, and uh, so I was like, yeah, let's uh, give this another shot because, you know, I've also sort of been into like early nineties, uh, gothic films. So figured it was time to give this one a try. Yeah. It does have a similar, I'd say, I didn't think about it until you just said that just now, but it has sort of a similar feel to, um, the Clive Barker film we watched Lord of illusions in mm. that it's set in that type of contemporary LA yeah. the hills and the, the, uh, sort of, back room magic hypnotism weird you know i don't know mm-hmm. shades of that in there well what did we all yeah. think of uh of this movie dead again jr you hadn't seen this before neither have i but i'm just gonna know jr right now go ahead and the, mm. but you know before i get to anything about the actual movie is like i couldn't believe how far down the cast list emma thompson is yeah right and like on letterbox she's i think like the fifth or sixth name uh and I was like, was she, re- like, like, in my head, Emma Thompson's just always been a famous British actress, but I, mm. I was like, wow, was she really not a big deal before 1991? And it, you know, it turns out, like, like Dead Again and, and Howard Zen, like, the next year are probably, you know, where she started to get big. Uh, and I just mm. thought that was fascinating. And I don't think I knew that uh, Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh were married. But, um... I only knew because I looked. I looked it up uh, for mm. some reason. I forget why, but but you know, for me, this was just like another one of Kevin's '90s picks. Where when the movie starts, <laughs> I just I don't understand what kind of tone it's going for initially, and and it, like I cl- I clearly recognize you know like the first frame uh, after like the a producer credit is you know that uh, that newspaper coming at you like with the headlines. Mm. And I was like, all right, so I, I know that we're doing a, you know, a noir thing, um, and but I could not tell, you know, when we're in the jail cell uh, with Kenneth Branagh and his uh, goatee, and he, the only the lower part of his face is lit, and Andy Garcia comes in. Uh, that first exchange, I was just like, oh no, we're in for a rough a rough ride, um, and and luckily it. it I kind of figured out uh, what was going on and I, I kind of felt like, all right, we've got some camp here and we've got some homage and uh, I started to get much more into it. Um, really bounced back after that first scene for me, which is exactly what happened with Maverick, right? Um, mm. Apparently the nineties were a confusing time for my sensibility. Uh, but I, I ended up thinking this was generally a lot of fun. Um, 
I'm still confused as to how this is like actually a love story between these two people, uh, the, these reincarnated selves. And, uh, but that doesn't, that ends up not really mattering. The, uh, the mystery is simple, but fun. And, uh, the performances, I think mostly work. And I, I really enjoyed Derek Jacoby as this, uh, mm. hypnotist. That's all I got. Well, um, <clears throat> I disagree <laughs> With your assessment of the opening scene, or your opinion of the opening scene. I like the opening scene. I, When the opening scene happened, I was like, this is like a Tim Burton movie, or uh, Warren Beatty's mm. uh, Dick Tracy movie. I was like, if this is what this movie is, because I had no idea what this movie was. I mean, I'd heard of it uh, before, but I'd never seen anything from it i don't believe i don't think i saw the trailer or anything like that went in totally blind and um i was like if this is what the movie is i'm in like if it's a black and white like weird you know noir throwback uh man who wasn't there sort of thing <laughs> you know with uh even with the overacting and the you know brown doing his ridiculous um uh, i don't even know what he says he german i guess strauss right uh his german accent yeah, yeah. um even with all that, I, out of Germany. right? I thought it was, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot of fun for that reason. And when it cut to mm. present day, I'm not going to lie, I was disappointed. But uh, you know, it's not that I, you know, it's, that didn't stay with me. I was like, this movie blows because it happens in 1991. And uh, I thought it, I like Jr. I had a lot of fun with certain aspects of it, and uh, I think Derek Jacoby is. You know, I always like Derek Jacoby. He's reliable. Although I am, he is a little tainted for me because he's he's in an episode of uh, Frasier where he plays a bad actor. Oh, man. And, oh. <laughs> and I cannot help but think of his ridiculous delivery in that episode every time I see him in anything. <laughs> it's actually particularly worse in, um, in Hamlet because he's mm. doing... He does scenes as Hamlet in the Frasier episode. <laughs> oh, and it's no. it's really and it's so goofy and ridiculously like over the top. And uh so I think of it. But you know, he is obviously he's very, very you know, he's controlled enough to where that like that's why they got him to do that. It's like a parody of his own because he used to uh, I was reading about Hamlet. He used to he was like the Hamlet for a while in England. Mm. And uh apparently the stage actors have this this red copy of hamlet like leather bound tiny and they give it to one another whenever someone takes over the role and becomes like hamlet for the time period and like olivier had it and uh derek jacoby had it, and derek jacoby gave it to brenna whenever they made the film together and uh so uh you know anyways jacoby's great uh i thought all the acting was terrific i, I really liked uh i liked brenna in it actually i liked his um american accent i didn't really understand what it mm. was it's definitely got like this weird affect to it that sounds like it's from it almost sounds like Alan Alda to me when he was talking. Mm. Does that does that sound right to you guys? It's it's not, he's he's got like this I don't know if it's like an upper like a like a northeast like but like above New York kind of thing. I don't know. It's mm. got some kind of strange accent, but I thought he hid his his British accent incredibly well. Like it never slips in my uh from from my perspective and uh yeah i enjoyed him in it i like the sort of detective aspect of of the of the story i don't know that the 
conceit, the sort of, I don't even know what you'd call it, the um, speculative fiction conceit at the center of the film was working for me all the time. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, again, we talked about suspending disbelief earlier. I, what I really didn't like, I'll, I'll be honest, I loved Robin Williams, his little, I don't know if you call him cameos, but like he plays a weird mm. side role in the film. And uh, yeah. I didn't, I loved him in the film, but I, whenever he became like the voice of, like he was trying to talk Kenneth Branagh into believing in, <laughs> in like past lives and stuff. And I was like, I don't believe for a second that this guy believes in path lo- past lives. No. He was a psychiatrist and he believes in past lives. Like he's I, a man of well, science. I thought it was he, funny that uh, we were supposed to believe that he just like lost his license because he slept with patients. Oh, right, but then yeah. he's like trying to convince Kenneth Branagh to just like go ahead and kill. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. He's, to he's kill Emma Thompson. Like, kill her before, get, yeah. do her before, before she, she does you. you. <laughs> yeah. Like that was the one thing about like Williams's performance in the movie that like really took me off guard. Cause like before that I was like, okay, you know, like I love Robin Williams. I thought sure. I think he's great and like uh um, likable. Yeah. And especially like with the past lives things, you know, he he's talking about that one patient who like, you know, all I know after that hit, after that session, she wasn't claustrophobic anymore. Um so it's like he doesn't he's not 100% behind it, but he sees there's merit to it. Um but yeah, then like the last scene that you see him in, he's like, eh, you got to kill her." It's like his character takes this like super hard like left turn into darkness all of a sudden, and it's like, whoa, that really doesn't fit with everything that that's gone into this character beforehand. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's just, it was really strange. It was honestly yeah. though the whole his his inclusion in the film felt very strange to me because he's it's he's a huge star in 91 even oh, i yeah. mean that's, he's been nominated for an oscar already for, for serious like acting a, that was like a favor it must have been right a friend but yeah well the, I, he's in he's in uh branna's hamlet right so but maybe that's they, that's later i'm saying i i i that was fine at that oh. point i was like i mean hamlet's in 96 so that's five years after this i was like i was thinking you know they must have met somewhere in like Williams really, really liked Brennan. He was like, "I'll, you know, I'll be in your movie if you want me to." Like, I loved Henry V, and I'll mm. be in whatever you want me to do. And right, it's it's just it's silly because the only like that character's there just because they need like a like a a, a consulting presence who isn't mm. Derek Jacoby because that's <laughs> what Derek Jacoby is. And then we of course learn who Derek Jacoby is. Right. 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 And uh, I don't know if you guys recognize him. He only has one line, and he's briefly on camera. But uh, Tuco from Breaking Bad, Raymond Cruz, is the grocery store clerk. Yeah, yeah. Who uh, who lets him into the uh, the place? So that was great. Right. Um, sorry, I just have like I just have notes. So I so, so maybe like this this is a bit of a nitpick, maybe. But I mean, it's not really a nitpick. It's kind of ridiculous. But this is a problem with the the conceit of the film, right? The idea that. Uh, that Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson are reincarnations of uh, the Strausses, this com- this composer and his with a twist, right? What? What do you mean? I said re- reincarnations with a twist. Oh right. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. So Gen- I mean, gender the, swapping the, twist. Oh right. Yeah. Of course. I, f- I actually mm. forgot about that. But um, but the idea that they're reincarnations of one another 
I mean, even the fact that there's a that there's a gender twist makes no sense either. Because just, I mean, they no. look they're they're the same actors, like they're the same people. They look exactly the same, and Jared Jared Jacoby shows uh, Brenna pictures of them in the '40s, and he doesn't for a second say, "Hey, that's me in that picture," <laughs> or "Hey, that's that mm, that's Grace in that picture." Like, like I don't understand how you don't like. It's just such a it's a hard hurdle to get over as a as a viewer to say okay that he just doesn't recognize himself that's okay like it's just, it's absurd he it looks like Brenna mm. in the picture you know and i and i think they do a a good job of making Brenna look sort of schlubby in the present day as opposed to his sort of dashing image that he cuts in the 40s but i don't know it was a, it was a hard pill to swallow that they didn't uh recognize themselves in the life magazine mm do you guys did you notice that every time Wayne Knight talked in the movie, he whistled through his teeth when he was talking? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that was something that kind of annoyed me. Is it intentional? Honestly, like, because he doesn't I, do that in so. Seinfeld. I guess it's just an affectation. Like, I mean, the movie is full of like really great actors doing smaller parts. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know everyone wanted to stand out in some way. Sure, but even and Garcia yeah. had a weird effect to his speech pattern too. It was really bizarre. Yeah. I and couldn't I, place that either. I didn't. I, yeah, I was really confused by it. And I Andy Garcia is a guy where like I'll see him in something like like The Untouchables, where he does a really great mm. job of just being this sort of like you know up and comer, almost like naive kid who's taken under the wing of these other you know more advanced seasoned guys. And I'm and I like him in that, you know. And then he does something like. I don't know, Godfather three, where he's just so over the top mm. and goofy and uh, raging for no reason. And I, I don't know. I just can't, I can't p- peg him down. Like, is he good or not? Like, I don't, I have no firm fixed opinion of him as an actor. Mm. I'll tell you what a movie, a movie that I always loved with Andy Garcia was, uh, uh, desperate measures. Did you ever see, ever see this desperate measures with Michael Keaton and Andy Garcia? Where Michael, I don't think so. Michael Keaton is a is a convicted uh, felon. He's on death row, but he has the same kind of bone marrow that Andy Garcia's son has, and Andy Garcia wants him to give him a bone marrow transplant, and then uh, Michael Keaton agrees to it, and then uses the opportunity to escape prison. Mm. It's actually I, directed by Barbara. I Schroeder. might have seen it. <laughs> so, oh wow, yeah, Chad New Jersey. It's directed by Barbette Schroeder. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's good though. It's I've, I, it's actually on my list of potential uh, deep dives because <laughs> I I, I want to say I saw that Jr. hadn't seen it, but anyways, mm. Garcia in this really weird performance uh, and the the old man makeup like something out of oh. Scrooge. Oh man, uh, that's not good. yeah, yeah, it was, and really, it was really bad. Hannah Shagula's old old lady makeup was not good either. Yeah, she looked no. less of hers was better, right. but it wasn't great. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it was neither was convincing at all. But uh, mm. yeah, again, it's just when when he went to go visit Andy Garcia in the old folks' home, it just remind again it reminded me of like a like a Tim Burton movie or something. Just the way it was lit and mm. this character being all decrepit and smoking through his tracheotomy tube and <laughs> just yeah. completely bizarre for no reason. Yeah, it's like I want like we've talked about this like several times now, but it's like is it like is that was. Was the '90s just this era where people like, where like that aesthetic was just so prevalent, or was it like legitimately Tim Burton's influence, or like 
what was going on in the early nineties? Burton and Burton and Sonnenfeld together. Uh, mm. But by ninety one, you think? Well, no, yeah, you're right. He had, had made Batman, Batman yeah. and and uh, yeah. and the Pee Wee Herman and Beetlejuice by ninety one. Right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So you're right. And Sonnenfeld yeah, and comes like, along the next year, I think, or maybe is no, it's ninety that he made Adam's Family, right? Right, but wasn't he? He's Sonnenfeld was a DP for a long time, right? Yes, for the uh, for the Coens, right? Wasn't he the Coens DP originally? One of them for sure. Um, I think there's also, you know, this this has a, a fair amount in debt to like Hitchcock as well. Sure, I mean, yeah, I'm, right. I'm not yeah. saying it's definitely not a it's definitely not a uh, when 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 I compare it to Burton or when I think of this in comparison to to Burton or Sonnenfeld or that sort of uh, comic book aesthetic of the early nineties. It's, it's mainly in the, the, the way the sets are dressed or like, or choices like that. It's less about direction. I mean, the, his direction yeah. is more, I agree. It's more sort of stagey and, uh, did you like guys Hitchhock find the, or like, uh, like early Wells, like I said, did you guys find the scissors set a little, a little bit much? The scissors Absolutely. set was absurd, uh, but it lot, became, it became more yeah. absurd with the way that the film ended. <laughs> by uh, pushing him onto the system, the, the floppy sheet metal that just went right. Yeah, through. yeah, yeah. Like that whole, the whole, that whole scene, like the the fight sequence, I thought was like pretty cheesy and not good. I I'll tell you, and the um, Brenna, his character, a little uneven when he just like all of a sudden flies off the handle and starts screaming at Emma Thompson about scissors. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like dragging her through the house and giving her all the scissors. I was like, this is a weird mm. turn for this character to make. It, it works only as a misdirect. Right. Like, like we've been mm. given no reason to think that he has like anger issues. Uh, right. If, if anything, like the beginning of the movie makes it seem like he's an opportunistic asshole, uh, which is kind of like some characterization that, that goes away. <laughs> like, I think they were just trying to like make, um, sort of a modern Sam Spade from his first few scenes. And then sure. he meets Emma Thompson and that's out the window. Uh, mm. And then he's briefly obsessed with uh, chairs and furniture, but um, otherwise that becomes Derek Jacoby's thing. Mm. My favorite. Oh, I was going to, I just, uh, one little nitpick. Uh, uh, Andy Garcia says that uh, after, uh, after Strauss whispered in his ear, I've never written a word since that day. But there's a typewriter with pages all over the place on his bed in his room when he's an old man. Mm. It's like, why does he have a typewriter with a bunch of pages if he's never written a word? And right. Stupid. Over, <laughs> overthinking it. I'm overthinking it. My, his <laughs> nurse <laughs> wrote those. <laughs> mm. He dictates now. He doesn't write. It's a te- oh, yeah, technicality. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, my, my favorite scene in the movie was the Campbell Scott scene uh, where he comes and tries to convince Emma Thompson that he's her fiance. Uh, and then, and then, and then he, he gets caught, you know, and runs away. And then he like Kung Fu fights the, the guy, uh, Brenoff full fucking that guy looked like he knew karate to you. Yeah, I love that. He says, fucking guy looked like he knew karate to you. <laughs> like, that's so good. I love that whole scene. That whole sequence was great. And it, it looks, mm. it looks like Kenneth Branagh had to learn how to run for this movie. Like he didn't understand how to do it before. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> took running lessons for this movie. But, um, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that scene. I wish Campbell Scott was in the movie more, to be honest. I thought he was going to come back. But then Jacoby says something like, he was just an actor. Yeah, mm. God damn it. 
that's all my notes. I'm I'm out. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, I mean, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, Kevin. I still don't know how you actually feel about it yet. So, so tell oh, me. I, oh. I, I am. I'm kind of up and down. Like, there's, it's, it's like Johnny Mnemonic again. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I like and I can really appreciate, but then there's like uh, some not good stuff. So, Johnny Mnemonic and Dead Again, very similar films. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the, uh, yeah. I, I I tend to to lean towards like a lot of the stuff that shouldn't work, just kind of like I don't, I don't mm. say it works, but just kind of like fits. Like it doesn't take away. Like the idea of this super expensive anklet is just hilarious. Like like this yeah. a fancy a fancy <laughs> anklet. Or did a twelve year old write this? Um, but it, it makes it it gives it sort of like this unique spin. Um, you know, I liked. You know how like nakedly Hitchcocky and some of like the the like the scissor stuff is like just mm. like oh scissors and dial in for murder let's make it a thing here or um, you know overbearing uh, mother figures will just yeah, take that kind of very... like uh, like the, Rebecca yeah and like it, it, Hannah Shigouli is like barely in this but she's clearly mm. there as like that kind of presence and introduced as that kind of presence like she refuses yep. to to move rooms uh, when the, the wife or when Emma Thompson, the new wife asks her to, you know, because master Strauss didn't say anything, but um, and like, uh, yeah, all this stuff kind of works. And then there's like silly shit. Like, do you guys remember uh, Emma Thompson being told Wayne Knight's name? Because like Wayne Knight's in, mm. in the kitchen with, uh, with Branna and she like comes in, she has like, she is newly able to speak and uh, she's like, "Hey, Peter!" And I was like, "What? When? When did you meet this guy?" They met at the well, uh, at the uh, photo when he took the, her photo, right? Did he? Yeah, he. Oh, yeah, she was. There. She was there. He took her photo. Yeah, he had then, the dark room. Yeah, You're he right. was. He was like, hey, "Take it out of the fixer whenever it's done or whatever." Huh. I wonder so if sweet. I was like, if she can't talk, she also can't remember things. <laughs> how could she possibly remember this guy i was i was well, so got amnesia so of course so happy when emma thompson started talking like she's <laughs> she's an actor who should be talking uh yeah, you yeah. Know, she is great with mm. with words and and just having her like stare blankly was not working for me but yeah i don't know um i'm sorry that it was uh up and down for for you kevin like was it was it higher last time i don't remember honestly okay yeah, I mean, a lot a lot has happened in four years. So, Jr., do you love this thing or something? You're no, upset? no, no. You upset about it? Easier to five no. out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love it. I, I, it is a bit of flawed fun, and and honestly, like more fun than uh, than I typically associate with with Branna. Mm. Hmm. Well, okay then. Uh, well, uh, what does that mean? What's the rating? Uh, my rating is a, a three and a half. My rating is a three. So I'm just below you there, bud. Mm. I'm going three and a half. Oh, wow. Didn't feel like I liked this the least, but that's that's okay. Uh, let's uh, let's do our movie roulette challenge. So last thing, let's, we're going to go to the movie roulette list, which I have and, open uh, here. And I, I was going to ask a question. Oh, go ahead, um, do it. Mm. For, the, for the roulette, you know, we're, we're, we're usually talking 
top six cast members. Yes, yeah, good uh, top but the six. The layout of the top six in Letterbox is insane and includes this old woman, Lois Hall, right I'll in the say, middle there. Okay, mm. let's let's let. Do you want to switch out Lois Hall well, for Wayne Knight? I just yeah, I would imagine that none of us have seen more than Gone in sixty seconds. This and Flight Plan, because um, everything else she's in is is really old. Yeah, I've seen mm. two films that she's been And in, I don't so. even know. It says she plays Constance. Is I think Constance was like the the woman who was being hypnotized in that one scene. I don't know who else she would be. Um, so, I yeah, I feel like we should sub in. Let's sub Wayne in Knight. Wayne Knight for number five. Okay. Kevin, are you agreed with this? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the the sister who was like, no, you got to keep her here in the um, – in the – uh, the church thing that oh she's uh, one of the nuns you mean I oh. think she's the the nun that was like oh. sticking up for who uh, fucking knows all right yeah <laughs> huh. all right let's so uh, we're, tra- we're trading her out with Wayne Knight and yeah not to- okay okay Wayne Knight and all then right. Emma Thompson be number six okay so here's the dice okay. you guys ready yes we're ready it's three it's three. not a six it's Andy Garcia oh no it's Andy Garcia oh my god oh no, oh, no. This is not good for me. Now, now we're looking at our li- our, uh, our our Andy Garcia's page to see. This is a this is a particular a particular brand of '90s cinema that I'm not well versed in. Is is what mm. I think of when I think of Andy Garcia. He's been in a lot of stuff recently. I don't didn't even realize that. Mamma Mia! You got Black Rain in there from the '80s. Mm. So he's been in, mm-hmm. he's been around a while. You know? Yeah. I knew. I knew. When I put that Beverly Hills Chihuahua up in my college apartment, Beverly Hills poster, I, I, I should have watched it. <laughs> I have some of these movies are on my watch list too, and I haven't gotten to them. Damn! If only I had known. Mm. Uh, I'm just making sure I don't have anything on here that I haven't yep. clicked on. Let's get let's get in that last second cheating. Oh fuck off! It's not cheating if I've seen it. If I've seen it, it's. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah. I started Internal Affairs once. Should I mark that as half seen? <laughs> no. It's a half seen. Now that would be cheating. I know. <laughs> All right. I don't have anything on here that I haven't uh, marked, so I'm ready. I'm ready too. <clears throat> well, Kevin, go ahead. Lay it on us. How many have you seen? Nine out of eighty-three. Fuck. JR, you have, have less than nine? I have eight. I have eight. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, you. a historic moment on Filmiac. <laughs> How does Kevin beat JR? That's obscene. <laughs> I've seen 13, hey. so I kick both your asses. Uh, oh my fucking <laughs> Christ. <sighs> I can't believe that. JR is really sucking at this game, I've, eh? I've never seen Stand and Deliver, I've never seen Black Rain. I didn't see, against my better judgment, I did not see the Mamma Mia sequel or the Ghostbusters reboot. I didn't. I, just I haven't didn't seen see any of those. Either. I've seen Black Rain, but I haven't seen hardly any of those other ones you I, just mentioned. I used to own yeah. his uh, directorial movie, Lost City, and then I started that and I hated it. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so then I sold it to FYE. I saw. Have mm, you seen for a dollar? Have you seen Smoke and Aces? I have seen that. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, every everything I've seen except for The Godfather Part Three and The Untouchables, it's all like this century, which surprises me. 
That is crazy, dude. I, I thought you would have seen a lot of this other stuff for some reason. Mm. Like things to do in Denver when you're dead? Have you not seen that? No, not everyone in Denver has seen that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Uh, I have Night Falls in Man- on Manhattan in my watch list. I've been meaning to watch it. It's on Prime. It's a, a right. Sydney Lament film. So, Yeah, I keep thinking that I've seen Hoodlum, but then I'm like, I don't remember anything about it. So I'm like... He plays. So uh, I must. I must not have seen Hoodlum. He plays Lucky Luciano. I've seen Hoodlum. Hoodlum's awful. That's, Hoodlum's one of those like oh. all-time blockbuster covers. Like I just like recognize yes, it as exactly. always yeah, being yeah. Exactly. on the shelf. It's terrible. Um, Tim Roth is in it. He's so bad mm. in it. I love Tim Roth, but he's just so goofy, over the top. Mm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to generate a number between yeah. one. This list is being added to, by the way. So the number's getting bigger every time. It's uh, eighty-seven fifty-six now. They just, wow. they just added some movie that's in someone, the theater. Someone right now, tell Letterboxd user Tobias Anderson to chill the fuck out. Mm. <laughs> Here we go. So I'm going to generate a number. Here we go. The number is 6565. Mm. So who's going to look for that? <laughs> uh, it's on page 66. 6565. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I think... We did it, guys. We win. It's a uh, it's a Chuck Jones Looney Tunes short. Oh my! What? God. Oh, it it's, is. It's Duck Come Rabbit on. Duck. Perfect. Oh, I'm in. It's seven minutes long. This will be easy for you guys. That that's not fantastic fair. <laughs> for for you guys. It, I'm the only one that lost, dude. No, aren't? Didn't we say the two losers watch it though? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's oh, always. I, you're right. I forgot. Yeah, I'm the only yeah. one who doesn't have to watch it, but I probably will. Honestly, it's only seven minutes. I've probably seen. I mean, before, anything Chuck Jones is worth watching. So it's the final installment of the Hunting trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna have to watch all three. <laughs> Twenty-one. What's, what's minutes. the name again? Duck Rabbit Duck. Duck Rabbit Duck. Okay. Nineteen fifty-three. So it's right. Duck exclamation point Rabbit comma Duck exclamation point. Lots of lots of uh, punctuation in this three-word title. Mm. Thank you for saving me. I almost forgot the word punctuation. It's not like you're an English teacher or anything, so should be fine. English teacher with a newborn. My, oh, my brain's not, not up to snuff. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so uh, that's the your, your quote punishment and unquote film uh, for losing the movie roulette is Duck Rabbit Duck. Duck, 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 Duck Rabbit Duck? Is that what it is? Yeah, Duck <laughs> Rabbit okay, Duck. Yeah. Duck Rabbit Duck, yeah. that's such a weird uh, title. I mean, I get it. It's a pun, but... Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, next time on the show, it's my pick. Yeah. And uh, we're going to watch Greaser's Palace, directed by Robert Downey Sr. Or just Robert Downey, I guess. Mm. Which is a Western, surreal, weirdo, acid Western that he made from 1971, I believe, uh, and stars Alan Arbus. <laughs> Who is Alan Arbus? He played, uh, he's in a lot of, um, he's actually in like Bobo 73 and some other Robert Downey films, but he's also in MASH as Sydney, the psychiatrist. Maybe about mm. 10 episodes throughout the course of the show. He plays Sydney. He's amazing. And he's in a lot of black exploitation films like Foxy Brown and Coffee and shit. Mm. He's just a character actor from the 70s. Right. But, and it's uh, on Prime. It is on Prime, which is one of the reasons I'm choosing it, because uh, I was going to buy the Blu-ray, but it's like $25, so that's insane. 
um, yeah, Greaser's Palace, Robert Downey. I was actually looking at Robert Downey's filmography and noticed that JR had seen very little. So, I think I've only seen one thing. I think maybe. you've only seen Bobo 73. It's the only one I saw on there that you'd seen. That was weird. I thought you'd seen Putney Swope for sure because it's like the the highest regarded one that he has. Yeah. But uh, Which I have not seen either. But I have the, I have his uh, Eclipse series. So I'll probably watch some of the others in the Eclipse series as well as rewatching Creaser's Palace. Mm. But uh, until next time, check out our website, filmiacpodcast.com. Email us at filmiacpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on iTunes. Like us. Subscribe to us. And, uh, you know, until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. 